my name is Dave Hanratty and there will be no encore back at last following an impromptu hiatus. I nearly went deaf in one ear. Peter McGann's on the show this week. Hello again. Glad to be back. Welcome back, Peter. Thanks, Adam. Great. Great to be here also. I am Adam. That's Sonic, Sonic Architect, Architect Adam. <laughs> yeah, we, 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 had some, well. we had some maladies, but we're better now, Yeah, I think. Feeling good. And there were scheduling conflicts as well, where, like, for example, I had to go see The Equalizer 3 to review it for national radio. And I had to like go on the Wednesday and then review it on the Thursday, and it just it just wasn't working. My life was a mess. I started a new job, you know. It's all all this kind of stuff. But I will say about the Equalizer Three, right? So I went to see it. Half the films in Italian. There was no subtitles. Really? Yeah. Was that a fault of the cinema, or is it just Fuqua been a madman? Can't quite tell because I've seen it reported elsewhere. But it, the screen was also on a slant when I went in. It was in fucking. I'm, I'm going to say it. It was in the Savoy. Screen twelve. That's right. Remember the Savoy used to be like the best cinema in the country. Yes. The biggest screen, the greatest thing, the greatest experience. Yes. And now that they just decided, let's butcher that. Let's get 12 of these screens instead. The layout you sent me of the screen you were in was fucking demented. It looks like a living room or a janitor closet, yeah. And so I went in and there was like me and like two other people and the screen was on a slant. So I eventually went out to the staff who could not care less. <laughs> you know, they're just like, that's how it's supposed to be, man. I was like, okay. <laughs> then my friend went out about the subtitles issue because what happened was you're getting long stretches of like mobsters talking to each other. Yeah. And I, at first I was like, Oh, Antoine Fuqua, you visionary, you're immersing us in this world, much like Denzel's character. We, I, we don't speak the language, so, you know, we're, we're all men at a time here. But then you get these long stretches of, like, plot mechanics with Italian, and I'm like, nope, that, that, that's definitely not right. <laughs> I, I've had that, I can't remember what film it was, but yeah, I had the same thing where I was like, oh, this, what a way to immerse you and make you feel like a fish out of water. And then I was like, oh, hit the sp- subtitle sentence on the Italian. I was like, oh, right, no, I've just missed a huge chunk of what I was meant to be. <laughs> I had it before when I went to see uh, Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me in the lighthouse and it was like I'd never seen it before I'd seen bits of it on TV when I was too scared when I was too young and I loved Twin Peaks of course and then I went and it was the screening and we were in the lighthouse Saturday night you know big deal all the hipsters in Dublin convening together having a great time and it starts off and like the openings credits it's just opening credits and there's a television screen and it's kind of fizzing and stuff but the audio was demented. It was just like static and fizz, you know, and all kinds of distortion. And then at the end of it, like, you know, someone like slams like a fucking axe through the TV or something. And then it cuts to a scene and there's a character on the phone. And the character on the phone is kind of like ha- clearly having an ear complaint of some description. And I was like, oh, I was like, Lynch, you absolute <laughs> genius. And then a member of staff comes out, the film goes off and they're like, sorry, we're clearly having some audio issues. We'll start the film again. <laughs> and I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> Full on Homer Simpson, like brilliant, you know, like, <laughs> you master, <laughs> yeah. standing and like, applauding like, in your seat. This guy, no one's doing it like this guy, you know. I was like, oh, it's just genius, absolute genius. So yeah, um, films because we will be talking about films on this on this episode. Because what's our top five, Peter? Our top five is musical moments in movies that aren't musical. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Going to try and get that down to about four words for the, for yes. the title. It's going to be impossible. Like yes. I've got like spontaneous. Musical bits in non-musical I motion pictures. That. I like Peter's one. <laughs> <laughs> it's alliteration. We'll yeah. figure it out. Yeah. Okay. What else have you got? What else have you got there? Go uh, I've got a good top five is what I've got. Oh, and, and we'll very, get, we'll get to it. But uh, welcome back. Uh, you're very busy coming up now. You've got lots of dates and stuff. You're doing comedy. Yes, doing my show. Great lad. Uh, in At start, I'm well, as of recording, uh, this is thursday and i'm starting again on my tour next thursday so down in cork for a sold out show and then vicar on the friday and then it's uh yeah the next saturday and then thursday friday saturday gig and show so look on my website and or i don't have a website look on my social media and that's uh, all you need these find days lovely links to 
where you can buy your tickets. Feeling nervous or feeling good about it? Yeah, I'm, I've been very busy with other stuff, so it is that thing of like, I'm, I'm getting nervous about how little I've thought of it. Not that I haven't thought of it, I've done the show already, so I know it's there, <laughs> but I need to, you know, basically have a few days of just absolute fear where I'm in a room running it over and over again, which I have scheduled coming up. But uh, yeah, it's that thing of like, oh Jesus, I haven't even given this as nearly as much thought as I did when I did it first in March. So I want to get it in good order. Comparatively speaking, how much thought did you give your top five this week? I gave it a lot of thought. I'm, I compiled kind of a mega list with me and my wife and we worked out moving, picking and choosing and stuff. And then when it came to actually whittling it down, I just went pure gut and just pulled, like, my number one slot is my favourite scene in any movie. Okay. Which is a high, you know, praise. And the others are just things where I'm like, I don't know, are they the best of what they are, but they're my favourite. Like, I just went purely with my gut when I was looking at the big compile list. And unlike last time, like I was, I haven't made like extensive notes and things for it. I just like, because it is very like, yeah, as a gut feeling with it. That's good. I actually do have some notes. I did make some notes and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, it was tough in the end. At first I was kind of like, oh, will I even be able to find five? And then I was like, no, no, there's hundreds of them. They're all really interesting and mm. good. And I've, I've gone for some weird ones, I think. Turks 2, ABC. <laughs> no, that's a horrible, I hate that film so much. <laughs> The third one's even worse. Jesus Christ. I Although my friend has a song in it. Shout out to Carla Malocco. Great song. Bad movie. Not how, like, I saw that. Like, how does an Irish artist get a song in? Yeah, they put out like a call and he responded to oh. it. Yeah, it was Twitter, right? Yeah, yeah. He, yeah. Like, he just saw like, like they were looking for it and he just submitted and then the process unfolded and he got a song into the movie. Amazing. And it's a, it's a gorgeous song. It's called Mark the Map. Everyone go check it out. And it's the highlight of the movie because I didn't like the movie, but that's no... I mean, in fairness... Carlo would be like myself, you know, we would have watched Kevin's movies when we were younger. Big fucking deal mm. for an independent Irish artist oh, to get. That's, like, like, I would be the same. Like it, <clears throat> if it's like his kind of stuff was, you know, fairly formative now. Yeah, it opens with Welcome to the Black Parade. So how many people, like, do I know from Drawed that can say they're on a film soundtrack that contains My Chemical Romance and also him? <laughs> <laughs> Not him, the band, of course. Right, let's jump into the news section, shall we, Adam? <laughs> Start spreading the news. So, Electric Picnic has been and gone for another year. Did you go? I didn't. Well, what are we going to talk about? Uh, Electric Picnic. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't go either. (laughs) Uh, But I tell you who did go. We sent No Encore roving reporter and festival correspondent Hugh Carr down to Strad Valley for the weekend. We didn't really, his employers did. And Hugh has come back with us with a special report. You're listening to Rotate 106.5.5.5.5. Rotate, rotate, rotate. Hi there, you're listening to Flat and the Whites here now on Rotate 103.6. Talking to you about EP this weekend. Were you there? Send us your text into 085107-104.555. It was absolutely amazing, man. My personal highlight, have to say... Idols, man, they were absolutely amazing. A little bit of anti-imperialism, you know, it wouldn't really be my cup of tea usually. You know, I wouldn't really be joining those lads saying, fuck the king and all that kind of stuff, whatever. But it was just absolutely amazing. But you got to check out the spotter stages as well. Scustin, that's one band you really got to check out there now. Scustin, they're absolutely incredible stuff. Jamiroquai meets Michael Skinner. 
Michael, as I like to call him, Big Mike, Big M, Big Skin Dog. Absolutely incredible stuff there from those guys. Really want to check them out. But the main stage is really where it's all at. You know, it's just really the place that you want to be at the festival. You know, even though Billie Eilish was dying with a sickness, she managed to pull a great set out of the bag. Killers were absolutely amazing, even though the sound technician seemed to have fallen asleep on the volume button and couldn't really hear them after 500 meters away from the stage. But my personal highlight from the main stage had to be Fred again, man. The world's best Nepo baby. You know, you gotta say what you want about Mr. Again. He really knows how to push those tiny, tiny buttons. You're listening to Rotate 106. But right, don't forget, we've got Ed Sheeran on the way. But just until then, I'm going to live tweet my girlfriend telling her that we're breaking up. Stay tuned. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Hugh Kerr Sweet Hugh <laughs> Lovely, lovely Hugh He wrote an article for Joe.ie Not as madcap as last year When he got into all sorts of shenanigans But he was still There was shenanigans to be had So go check out Hugh's work And he'll be back on the show soon I'm sure um, Yes, a taste of it there I suppose But, you know, it's a mega festival I assume you've been before, have you? No Never I've never been never I know, been yeah Wow Interesting I know I mean, fair would, play. Would yeah. you go? Would you go next year when they're adding more people and there'll be seventy-five thousand people there next year? I'd go if I was working at it. I was asked exactly. To do, I was asked to like. <coughs> I was asked to do this year, but I couldn't. Uh, so, like, hopefully, if nothing untoward happens to me between now and then, I'll, they'll ask me again, and I'll be able to go to be like a roadie or something. Was it? Or? Yes, yeah. to be lugging amps. Uh, uh, no, so but I've I kind of so I don't have a sense of how big it is it's like, massive it's yeah. really overwhelming and it's horrible in my opinion in that yeah. in that sense I mean there's lots of great shit on at the festival like you know I've been there numerous times I've worked there over the years and I you know I, my festival heart did break and I just was like I've had enough of this forever mm. but like you know if you went I mean like there's 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 all kinds of good acts on but there's also just it's just too much in my opinion yeah. there's just too much but one man does not share my opinion right that man deserves his own entrance music let's have it Festival Republic legend and no encore icon Melvin Ben. He had a very good time because the festival was a success. He he runs the festival, he owns the festival, he owns music, and he was on Morning Ireland on RT Radio One. Uh, I think it was the Friday of the festival. Your classic piece of morning radio where it's like it's all kicked off down Stroud Valley. Let's go live, and you know it's all like other news reports, and it's always the same. It's always just like we're here, you know, like on the way in, and everyone's in a good mood, and there's people being like, "Oh, can we go?" It's like two minutes of nothing. So Melvin Ben, however, getting him on the phone when he's on the site just before the gates open, um, like I, I, I sent you the whole clip, Adam. You did. And I listened to the whole thing, and I can't ever unhear that. So, I mean, uh, he's just got such a velvet voice. I'm convinced he's a cyborg. <laughs> like, I don't, th- I don't think he's real, because, like... Oh, he's real. What, what comes out of his... Like, the, the, com- the things that he, say, he says sometimes, like, don't even closely relate to the question, which I'm sure we're going to get to. There's one moment in clip two of three clips, which may be three clips too many, but we're going to play them and uh, we're going to sit here awkwardly and listen to them. So uh, let's have clip number one, please. Setting the scene. Well, 70,000 picnickers are expected to, des- to descend on Strad Valley for the three-day festival. Niall Horan, Paolo Nutini, The Killers and The Script are among the other headline acts. Melvin Ben, Electric Picnic Festival Director, joins us now from Strad Valley. Good morning, Melvin. Good morning, Samantha. Most important question first and staying with the previous theme, how mucky is it and do picnickers need to pack their raincoats? 
Well, according to Owen, no, I think we should invite Owen on the programme every Friday morning of the Electric Picnic, actually, in the future, Samantha. It was great news. I couldn't, I couldn't stop listening to him. So. But it's, it's no, been it very wet. Is it, what's it like down there? It's actually okay. I mean, there's, you, you know, there's some area of the sort of backstage area that's sort of caught up with a bit of mud and all that sort of stuff. But in the main, um, the public areas are really good. The team have, you know, really kept the vehicles off as much as possible. And in the main, the grass is good. And, um, you know, it's very lush, obviously. And, um, yeah, it's, it's you know, it's it's great, actually, to be fair. Now, it's island, so you might need some, you know, decent boots or, or something. So, but Umbrella, it's great, sun cream, sunglasses <laughs> and raincoat. Okay, I mean, like, what the, my favourite bit is the grass is good. It's very lush, obviously. <laughs> hey, obviously. That's what I look for in my festivals. <laughs> if I don't have lush gr- grass, lush flora, I'm not going. Is this your first time hearing his voice? No, well, I obviously hear clips of him on your good podcast. Thank you. So, um, I, as, as I was saying earlier, the only exposure I've had to the man is through you guys, and it's still quite a considerable amount of exposure. That's true, that's true. Let's have some more exposure. This is clip number two, and there's a certain point towards the end of this where, in my opinion, he just starts speaking in tongues. <laughs> What's different about this year's picnic? Well, it grows and changes every year, of course. And, you, you know, uh, you, you know, you mentioned Billie Eilish and Paolo and Niall Horan and, you know, the script, etc., the killers. You, you know, we, obviously the music changes year on year and just you know, continues to be exceptional in that sense of it, really. And, you, you know, that's just talking, you know, four or five of the main uh, headliners, the lineup, you know, beyond, you know, those four or five is just incredible, to be honest. And um, so uh, there's no shortage of of that we've got um uh, you, you know the a new area of sort of wellness area cree which i'm very excited that, about it's really taking shape and moving in the right direction for me and i'm very pleased with that you know bigger fish town area and um you know much more uh, you know beautiful sort of area with fish town and art lock together and it really does look stunning the whole site looks stunning really the you know the the you know the um, uh, the survivors bar and, and stage of, um, you, you know, a sort of amazing, um, helicopter or, or little light aircraft that, uh, has sort of crashed into the trees. Um, uh, and, and they're having a, a party that, uh, will be a party like no other. What? what? Like, no, like no other. What? In fairness to the man, I was falling asleep there and then he's mentioned <laughs> some kind of aircraft disaster That's and I perked right back up. No, like the first half is so dull. Yeah. And even like, also like naming an area, I know it's named after Jerry Fish, but like Fishtown. Fucking Batman villain. Like, I mean, he just looks, I mean, he does look like a Batman villain. I guess he does. Fish, like, he's like, got the vaudeville thing going yeah. on, yeah. But no, but like, like there's a certain point there where, where I think his brain just like gives up and he's just yeah. talking about like helicopters crashing into trees and the parties end all parties. Like, I, I'm convinced he forgot what he was talking about and was just like, how do I save this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, it, it, again, like it's just, it's that brutal morning radio. We've all fallen victim to it, but um, let's have the final thing. And there's one line in particular here that just blew my mind. What what kind of audience are you getting there? Is it is it younger and older? You know the electric picnic. I mean, we have a an incredible family campsite. Um, you, you know which you know which we call the little picnic uh, and, and 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 children's area. Um, in fact, for next year, I've doubled the size of uh, the family campsite. So you know, even more fun. 
Um, so no, we we have a really broad age, uh, age range, and you, you know there are you know sometimes three and you know sometimes even four generations of uh, families coming to the electric picnic, and you know particularly for some of the local families, um, it, it's a real um, it's a real weekend treat for um, so many people really. And uh, but the you, you know the age profile is 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 fantastic. It's one of the things that makes it so special. Actually, is the age profile. Three and four generations of a fa- family going to the picnic. Oh, that sounds very believable. I've done the maths in my head. It's. Uh... <laughs> I'm bringing my 120 year old grand <laughs> to Fred again. Like, <laughs> let's hope. She, let's hope she, her heart doesn't give out. Like, be the sample that Fred again's missing. Three or four generations. What's he talking about? <laughs> the age profile is fantastic. What a quote. What a- <laughs> <laughs> Got into a bar and looking around, <laughs> like, the age profile here is fantastic. Announcing it to the crowd, like all yeah, kinds of everything. Mighty. I did hear the age profile was kind of skewed. I heard it was mostly teenagers and middle-aged men. Oh, weird. <laughs> oh, I'm sure there's somewhere in between, but that appears to be what I've heard. Melvin Man wrote this insane long op-ed for Hot Press, which I won't get into because it's just too long to get into. But like about how great the festival was, it's very what I did on my summer holidays. But I must say he was right about one thing because this ran on Hot Press on the 21st of August, and he said I think there'd be a massive crowd to see the Wolf Tones, who oh. are always brilliant live. So he knew he is the best promoter because what happened with the Wolf Tones? Packed. Packed. They packed. played the Electric Arena. Yeah. No. And it was like twelve thousand. I think twelve thousand people can fill that. And there was like thousands of people, hundreds and thousands of people outside trying to get in. Couldn't get in. Um, I do wonder. I saw a video, and it was like one of those time lapse things. You know, for an aerial shot from overhead, and it was everyone like look at like everyone just like flocking to the Wolf Tones on mm-hmm. mass, as if like Queen had shown up or something yeah. with Freddie Mercury in tow. And I don't know. I mean, like, I think people are also just moving away from other areas and going to the, I don't know if it was, if every single body that was like sped up was legging it to the wolf towns, but it's caused a national debate. Where do you stand on this Republican debate that has come out? I stand on, I think it's pretty like clear why a lot of people are <laughs> going to see the wolf towns. And uh, I think the reason is, as you can see by the reaction of like these like old men in uh, media freak and they're not about it. Uh, I can't say I'm a massive... I've seen them live in a pub in Galway. I can't say I revisit their music too much. I like Grace. Who doesn't like Grace? But, um, like, I would, like... If I was there, would I have gone? I don't know if I would have. But How was the pub in Galway when you saw them? Was it fun? It was all right. It was like, you know, a student <laughs> bar. It was like a student night. They were just like so, playing. But do you think people that, like have flocked to them just for the crack, the irony, or some kind of armchair Definitely. republicanism? I mean, Don't like discount I- irony. Definitely armchair republicanism. and Because uh, they suck, right? I mean, like this is the problem. And I don't care yeah. about the lyric. I really don't care about the lyric content. It doesn't bother me. But I think musically they're horrific. Ah, uh, yeah. And, yeah, I... I, I don't know. I, I'm going to say the way, th- you know, there there's a lot of... Ireland for the Irish heads going around the place these days. I'm going to say there was maybe a fair chunk of that audience. I might ask you to cut this bit out, but I feel like there might there might be a fair, you know, I'm not saying the majority at all, I don't think, but like maybe a, a minority might have been there because this is Ireland and this is Irish culture and we need to keep, and you know. Are you suggesting that they were there for the cause? Yeah. 
not not the cause that the wolf tones has gone about, but another cause entirely. Sure. Uh, I think most people were there to just like have a drink and like sing some rebel songs. Yeah. And again, I, and I don't even necessarily like, again, I don't I don't have a dog in the fight here. I really don't. I mean, like I'm a fucking you know middle class moron from fucking Louth who sounds like he's from Dublin Four. I don't I, like I don't know enough about. It. I I haven't experienced you know any any kind of you know issues with regards to that. But like I just think. I, I don't. I also desperately don't have the authority to sell someone don't sing a rebel song or have no. fun at the Wolf Tones. Like it's not my kind of thing. I think overall it's a good thing. I think it's a good thing that twelve thousand people, or whatever it was, went to it because it does send a message. The fact that it's rattled to the core all these kind of pontificators in the media and and in government. I think that's a good thing. And like the fact they're they're clutching their pearls about it in a very kind of public way I think that it's only gonna and the scolding like but the scolding thing tone they're taking is like never worked in ever on like all it's gonna do is fuel ticket sales for their exactly, three, three yeah, arena yeah, game yeah, you know that, that they've announced for next year their sixth anniversary yeah. also their first time ever playing the picnic if, not bad if not I might offer an alternative perspective there's also about like, the troubles or well, <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, more so in the like resurgence of trad in the, like, the last two years. You've got the likes of John Francis Flynn, Anna Mika, even Essa Francis, uh, the Mary Wallopers. Like all of these lads have like followed. Lancome, the Scratch, yeah, the Gloaming. Yeah, it's a massive the footsteps revival. Of these yeah. guys, and now they're the big acts <coughs> that are selling out shows. They're also all better. Like they, they make better music, more well, interesting music. I think the Scratch are unbelievable. I think they are like going to you know, st- stand the test of time as one of those acts that people talk about historically, you know, mm. in the same breath as the Wolf Tones and stuff like that, you know. Um, but yeah, I think that that is a massive contributor to... It's a combination of things. Yeah. And I, and, I, and I don't think that there's inherent evil baked into it, really. And like I say, they offend my musical sensibilities more than anything else. But also, I'm just like, whatever. Like, I mean, like, it's like they were booked to play. Everyone's like, should they play the main stage next year? It's like, well, they kind of have to now, don't yeah. they? They, yeah. they did that with Fred again. It's the exact same thing happened with Fred again last uh, year. I was like, musically very similar. Those two, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. I, I mean, a you, nation you'd, once again, and <laughs> Fred again. <laughs> uh, you'd find it hard to tell them apart. Um, no, I because I, it was the same thing. Fred again was in the Electric Arena, and it was like jammed. You couldn't get in. Um, but the Wolf Tones had again. It was a bigger crowd for the Wolf Tones. But the same exact same thing. It's like these acts are being under. I don't know. They're like being underbilled, and it's I don't mm. get it. Like I don't understand why because they like Melvin Ben knew he knew you, that was going to happen. But I know? wonder what uh, from a optics perspective you're putting the although he put the script. I was like, you know, if you put the Wolf Tones as one of your main acts, is it like would that affect ticket sales in terms of like that's an old band, that's an old trap? Like, you know, it's not like. But they, the festival sells out on name recognition alone, though. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, true. tickets go on sale this tomorrow, I believe. Is it tomorrow or next? It week? is. No, it is. When this podcast is out, that they they, they will be sold out, probably one hundred percent sold out. They'll be gone. And even the script thing that you mentioned, Peter, because like I mean, they were announced as the mystery headliner on the blurred out thing, mm. and I'm sure you saw the Twitter outrage. Yeah, what did you think of it? Um, I felt bad because the script probably would see that and be sad. Yeah, uh, that's, that was my instinct, uh, but. Um, other than that, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, I get it. Like, what, what, what were they thinking? <laughs> so, what I think happened is, and I, and I think that also, in fairness, and I include myself in this. I think we all have short memories because, like, when that happened, it was two Fridays ago, 
and the reveal occurred and everyone was going mental on Twitter being like, this is a joke, I'm selling mm. my tickets, they're the worst band ever, blah, 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 blah. I, you know, opportunistic Dave over here took the chance to reshare the interview I did with Daniel Dunhu with Joe in 2019, in which I only had 20 minutes with the guy and he gave me like the greatest quotes I've ever gotten an interview ever. Oh, I remember that. He was just saying all kinds of fucked up shit. Nothing cancelable, but it was more like, you know, he literally was like, I should be reviewing my own records because I'm fucking selling records, you know? I remember that interview. It was incredible. And I walked away from being like, this guy rules, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, this guy's insane. Yeah, it's, it's the, like, not, like that like rock star ego that you just don't get anymore, there's at an, least pu- like publicly. There's an infamous anecdote, and I hope I can say this on mic and not get sued, but like, the story goes that they got a they got a bad review of their album Freedom Child in a of all places like the RTE website, and the story goes that the front man of the script did not take this very well, and apparently, when the album went to number one the following week, allegedly, rumored that a cake was sent to the office. And on the icing, it said, we're number one, now eat your fucking words. Which, I gotta say... Class! That's, <laughs> yeah. that's unbelievable. It is, but that's also... so good. But also, do you not have better things to be doing? <laughs> fucking no. Like, that's, yeah, yes, class! It's pretty good now. It, it actually fantastic. is. Like, it, like it's inventive. And, and that's the kind of man that that man is. And from my, from my brief time in his company, and I would love to interview him again because he just goes off. So what happened was, when I say the short memories thing, like I said, I posted the article and I was like, lols, I gotta say, I think we've all, and I don't mean this in any disrespectful way at all, I think it's just the passage of time and there's just too much information. I think we've all forgotten that Mark Sheehan passed away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. That was the thing where I was like, in April, body, And I think, I think, everyone, so I think everyone genuinely just yeah. forgot it. Because also, because like, they would have seen even like promo photographs, which probably included him in it. Yeah. No one really stopped to think about that. And that's human nature. No one meant, I don't think anyone meant anything horrible. But I guess my theory, and not just my theory, but a theory I've heard other people talk about is, what if it was a situation that they were actually booked back earlier maybe like earlier in the year last mm. year and they were they were always doing it but then that happened obviously that tragedy happens mm. and it really was a fucking tragedy and maybe the festival people were like look you, you obviously you don't have to do you don't know what the band's future is but we'll keep it in reserve and if you want to do it if if things change and you want to do it we can keep the booking but not announce it so what if that's what it was and mm. then time passes they get a new member in or something they say, no, we want to do it, actually. It's a way to honour him or something. And then it's supposed to be this happy moment and this big kind of like, well, surely the country will be behind us. And then that happens. Now, in fairness as well, on top of that, though, they got a massive crowd on the Sunday. Did they? And they paid tribute to Mark Sheehan and by all accounts. But they were always going to. I mean, it's a, it's a minority, like, you yeah, know, exactly. on Twitter being like, oh, it's the worst thing of all time. Yeah enough people will go yeah it's not going to be like an empty fucking field for yeah. the script closing and, the festival and let me tell you like people who were like I'm selling my tickets no you fucking yeah. didn't no get yeah. get off your phone yeah <laughs> like just shut the fuck up like now and don't, don't get we're me wrong a nation of begrudgers don't, don't saying, get me it? no well don't get me wrong it's just like the there, you, there were some like funny quips knocking around in the comments like that's uh, I will put my hands up and say that I did see a few, and I was like, "Ah, it's actually pretty funny." And look, it's but, fine. I mean, I'm not. I'm not saying that nobody should have had any kind of negative reaction because I think as well, people were like, people were expecting a massive international. But who name, and they, Led Zeppelin? They, like, built, what yeah. the fuck? They thought it'd know? be Blur. They thought it'd be Blink One Eighty Two who cancelled their gig that I was supposed to go to this week. By the way, we were supposed to go today. We, we were supposed to go. Supposed Adam to go. and I were going on a date. Oh, to Blink, oh sorry. Lance. To Blink One Eighty Two, and we will go again. We will, but yeah. thankfully everyone's okay. So Travis Barker had to go home because Courtney Kardashian had a medical emergency. But apparently everyone's fine. That's that's more important. But also. What's much more important is me finally getting to see a band that I worked with when I was a teenager. Yes, you know, 
that's what I wanted to go to. Have you ever had any kind of gig-related heartbreak where you like were desperate to see someone they cancelled or you went and you finally got to see someone they were terrible? For my for our first wedding anniversary, my wife got me tickets to Al Pacino and Three Arena. And he was meant to be this April, coming April, I think. But he's yeah, it's been it's been like pulled, not cancelled, but like there's been no announcement of dates. It's like it's never coming back. Oh, I'll God. never sit in a massive, massive, like a couple of thousand seater venue and see a tiny old bewildered Al Pacino talk about heat for the fucking millionth time. <laughs> tell us, if you if you got to ask him a question, would it, like I think I'd be like, I'd be like, tell me about the, making the recruit yeah. <laughs> with Colin Farrell. I don't, what would I ask Al Pacino? Um, what, we, what were you really snorting on Scarface? Wink. <laughs> um, I don't, yeah, it's, it's, I love, yeah, maybe I just get up and ask the most generic, like, what was Marlon Brando like? <laughs> the whole three arenas, like, boo! What do you think about, what do you think about Marvel movies? Yeah. <laughs> would you ever do a Marvel would you film? Ever do Mar- Who would you play? Would you be Doctor Doom in Marvel? Uh, would you? <laughs> or ask him, like, uh, what was it like making a raging bull? <laughs> oh, no! Oh, fucking hell. Get that guy out of here. Get him out of here! <laughs> Well, I hope he comes back and I hope you get to see him. I'd ask him about that David Mama play. Was it like China Moon or something? Or he was where he was like, it was a, there's a, there was a whole like New York or New Yorker article about it. It was like him and this other actor, but like he was reading his lines off cues, cue cards, which whatever. He's, he's an old lad, but uh, apparently it was like shockingly bad from a play perspective and like everything else and behind the scenes and all that. I'd ask him about that. Get him real riled up. Yeah, and he storms off after one question. And you're like, you go back to your wife, you're like, that was the best present. I did, yeah. I did that. Did you yeah. see that? I did that. You see all those articles that are being written right now? Oh, I caused that. There were there was a tier of tickets that you could like go meet. Like these, this was like, pay. you would not be 7, able to afford it. 7,000 euro each. And like, yeah, would I pay 7,000 euro to go meet Al Pacino? And he would detest me so much. He's How like, you doing, like, Mr. McGill? You're the kind of person that would pay. Like, yeah, this I love your videos. <laughs> <laughs> is it like you know like you go for like a four course meal with Al Pacino type thing I see that would be worth like those weird Johnny Logan gigs where like e- a dinner is factored into the gig you know those what? ones yeah no. like he plays like like rural hotels and stuff and it's like you go and you like you go and you have a four course meal or whatever and then Johnny Logan plays and presumably you fall asleep because <laughs> you're full of gravy and spuds yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly like you know it's for the Wait, older he's crowd. eating dinner with you no I think I think you have the dinner okay yeah <laughs> And he's backstage getting ready okay, yeah. to wow you. I, I think it's for an older crowd, and that's not me being ageist. I, I think like it's just kind of a circuit. Like it's a, it's like it's like the after dinner speakers and football yeah. and stuff. I think it's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. the hotel function room, yeah, the, the a hotel lounge lizard room in so each village or whatever. Yeah, that's what I imagine Al Pacino would be doing. I imagine like you know you've gone for a slap up meal at Wow Burger or something, and then <laughs> Pacino comes out, tells some stories for forty five minutes, and then he goes back to his villa in Italy or something. Yeah, I know. I I that is my the heartbreaking one because you're like I want to see him and then yeah whatever maybe, maybe it'll still happen maybe it'll still maybe happen. fingers crossed back to uh, Strad Valley for a second before we move on so there was an interview uh, there was a thing in the Sunday Independent where it was Barry Egan talking to people and it was like um, it was you know p- people tell us about their plans for picnic or something and Varadkar the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar you know was asked who are you looking forward to seeing and he said quote I'm looking forward to seeing the killers they're good do they have any new stuff their Phoenix Park concert in 2013 was great. 
The Taoiseach's favorite song by them is Mr. Brightside. Laugh, Dr. Rutger. The Las Vegas rock Spoof. band's Spoof. first single in 2004 from their first studio album, Hot Fuss. And he goes, I'm showing my age. Uh, I'm not, uh, like, I, the temptation to do my terrible Eve Rutger impression is, is through the roof here, but I, I, I don't. Go like, do it, go on. Uh, I can't. I, I, I've, you know, like the calories, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing them. You're pretty good. Any new stuff? No, I can't do it. It's bad. It's bad. It's not, it's not a great impression. I, I'll try. I'll try harder. So he's asked in this interview, "What is it about Mr. Brightside?" And his response: "That this is the leader of the country." Says it's an optimistic, uplifting song. 2004 was a good time in my life. I was a newly qualified doctor. I just bought my apartment. I was elected to the council that year. It's been a rockier road since then. I'm like what? Then he goes, "I haven't been to Electric since 2019. They used to have a great throwback tent. Do they still have that? Who else am I looking forward to seeing this year? Inhaler are great." Rick Astley too, and the Saw Doctors will be fun. Um, asked if he saw Inhaler support Harry Styles, he says, I haven't seen them live yet. And then the teacher has asked, will he be rocking his Fred Perry look, his festival top of choice, it seems? And his response, it's actually not Fred Perry, it's ES, but that's an easy mistake to make. <laughs> Why was this done? <laughs> oh my god! Incredible. And then finally, uh, is he going to see U2 uh, Acting Baby live at the Sphere in Las Vegas on September the 29th? He goes, I looked at it. I'd love to, but the times don't work. It's impossible to take the three or four days off I need, and it's a long way to go. Abba Voyage, I plan to do that. The Rockin' Taoiseach. That's a man who's got his priorities in order. I'd go see Abba over U2 now. Yeah, fair. Yeah, even like the the fake Abba. Yeah. Yeah, I I mean, look, that's. I've never related to the man more. Between the Wolf Tones comments and the pro Varadkar stance, I'm going to ruin your career. (laughs) (laughs) Right, that's enough news for this week, I think. Um, A quick word, though, for Smash Mouth singer Steve Harwell, who passed away. Very, very, very very sad. And obviously everyone's going to be like, you know, hey, All-Star, that's the song that we all love. Uh, I do think Walking on the Sun was a pretty good song. Yeah. And it was very of its time. It was very kind of like late 90s, smooth groove. I enjoyed it. Yeah. (laughs) I have a really, a really quick story because it's about uh, Danny from the script and uh, Smash Mouth. I will take every Danny from the script story that anyone has. It's not like he's like a, I mean, he's an important player in the story, but it's not like a wacky Danny story. My brother, his girlfriend, his mates were drinking at a pub in Red Cross. I think it was Mickey Finn's and Danny was there. Danny from the script was there uh, having a few pints. And there it was a day drinking. They're going all day. They got fairly on it. And then at some point, you know, Danny, you know, th- there was a mic, there was a musical space and you know Danny was cajoled up <laughs> alright so he took he got a, a fair amount of arm twisting yeah right? yeah yeah <laughs> and he sang a couple of songs you know beautifully you know he does have a great voice for the man. and like he was like you know the whole pub's like wow you know this is amazing and then maybe I'm not sure the details maybe one or two other people would get up and sing or whatever and my brother who does like to sing the odd time you know uh, play the guitar and uh, he was cajoled up he's like you get up Paul you go on up you go on up and he, had, he was locked by the stage and he got up and he was very nervous because Danny from the script was there. He got up to the mic and the only song he could think to sing was, uh, uh, what's the, the Shrek one? All Star. All Star. Smash Mouth. And so he starts singing All Star by Smash Mouth <laughs> and then he forgot the words and uh, to All Star from Smash Mouth and he just sat back down and uh, was absolutely mortified. And Jesus. Yeah. Probably shouldn't have said that now from good enough for me to be grand. No, it's okay. Is he like years of therapy, I assume? Yeah, I yeah, yeah. Say, no. Has he recovered yet? If he listens to a script song or a Smash Mouth song now, he starts crying. <laughs> what about a remix? Oh, so, <laughs> script Mouth. Script Mouth. <laughs> Did uh, Danny give him any kind of budding words of encouragement afterwards? No. Or? 
No, I don't think so, Sally. Discouragement. Discouragement. Don't do that again. Yeah, I'll break your legs. Leave it to me. <laughs> Leave it to the pros. But yes, rest in peace, Steve Harwell. Thanks for the memories. Walking on the Sun was used in the trailer for Mel Gibson's Payback, I believe, in 99, I think. Or Good film. Not a bad movie. Not a bad movie. No. There's a, co- a, d- a director's cut of it that is apparently much better. I've heard that. I've heard that. Well, let's let's keep the movie talk going as we jump into our top five this week, which, as we discussed at the top of the show, so the last regular episode that we did before our impromptu break was we had Jane Gannon on, the great Jane Gannon, and we did top five songs from movie musicals. I did see that, and I was like, that's either the best lead-in or the worst. <laughs> well, there was supposed to be an episode in between, and we will get that episode going again. We we're supposed to do top five diss tracks with Rudy Kinsella, and that will be happening uh, when we reschedule. But, yeah, I did also think, I was like, fuck, I was like, have I balls this up? Am I am I stealing... I think it's a nice combo. There's like Peter's a double... Thunder. Because you no. came to me a while ago with this idea. I think it's a nice, like, double episode thing. Yeah. You can listen to both of them. A back companion back. piece. Companion yeah. piece, yeah. yeah, exactly. So, okay, so why did you choose this top five? Um... Jeez, oh, I can't even remember. I just thought of it because I was I was listening to the back catalogue a lot, and I was like, you know, you're kind of coming up with what other things, you know, what other kind of t- topics you could do, top fives you could do, and I don't know how I landed on it, but like, I guess it's it's because I was thinking maybe in the movie zone, like what else could I do, and because that is much more my purview than. Do you want to start a podcast music. called the Movie Zone? The Movie Zone. You can do it right now. (laughs) Let's do it. No encore is dead, everybody. It's time to enter (laughs) the movie movie zone. zone. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I I don't. Basically, it's probably just me thinking in terms of that, like uh, in the in the realm of movies, uh, but with still some musical component. And and as I said, the number one is my favorite scene in any movie and my favorite song. So it's like it would be a nice way to get that onto the show. And it'll be a nice way to close the show this week. So we will definitely have me go first. So that means you'll go last because I, you know, let's end on a very, very nice sentiment, ah. shall we? So so I'll be the rude guy who says to the guest, shut up, it's my turn. <laughs> yeah. But it means that you get to bring the curtain down. And yeah, I'll take that. Out of it's, an inspired, act. it's an inspired top five. You're always you're, the headline act in my heart. Oh, thank you. Let me tell you. So, okay. So, yeah. So it's bits in movies that aren't musicals in which things of a musical nature occur. That's a good title there for the episode. There you go. Right we there. nailed it. Let me tell you, I'll, <laughs> I'm going to spend about four hours typing that out. Adam's if, face. I, if I see the episode up and it's like, you know, on, on Apple Podcasts, it's like, yeah. things from a movie, da, 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 dot, 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 where yeah. you can't and even it starts that. to scroll yeah. across yeah. your screen. Across, but it does, but it, it can't, more. Yeah, it can't <laughs> load the whole thing. Yeah, and the podcast just breaks. So yeah, so it could be someone spontaneously breaking out into song. It yeah. could be a musical section of a film. For example, I'll, I'll tell you one that I didn't pick. Maybe you've picked it. I hope you haven't. Uh, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, that film. So I think that's a musical. See, that's the thing. That, that kind of cropped into my head. There are moments in it which are of a very musical nature, but I think Brie Larson doing Metric is really, really impressive, and there's some other mm-hmm. kind of musical bits here and there, but that film is so cartoonish that maybe it doesn't qualify. I guess but, it's got other things other than being a musical going on, like it's, you know... See, this is the tricky one that we ran into, because even like, you know, Inside Lewin Davis, for example, I was told strictly is not a musical. That's and, a musical. But you think it is? I mean, there's multiple characters singing constantly throughout there. The songs are, you know, germane to I know, the characters. and I was told it wasn't by a musician. So I was like, okay, well, what the fuck then? I, I don't know what to think anymore. But I, I thought, aha, now I can. And I thought, you know what? No, it still doesn't feel right. So that I don't. I didn't pick anything from Inside Lou and Davis. Let's start. I picked stuff that kind of, I, I also like you, I went with my gut. And I picked yeah. stuff that I think have good talking points around them. I even rewatched a film this week for this top five, which was quite the experience. Uh-huh. But we won't start there. We'll start with, in my opinion, 
this was the making of a superstar, this moment from this movie. So, yeah, you, you got some stuff here and there, you know, and let, let's see how fast you can, you can identify what it is. Here's my number five. I want to hold you so much At long last love has arrived And I thank God I'm alive You're just too good to be true Can't take my eyes off of you So, it took Peter McGann all of two seconds to identify. It is, in fact, Heath Ledger doing Frankie Valli's Can't Take My Eyes Off You in Ten Things I Hate About You, a rom-com Shakespeare twist on Taming of the Shrew from 1999, a film I think is very good. It is so good. And it was I was saying to you there, when we compiled the big list, me and my wife, Jen was like, you have to do that. And I, I came so close to doing it, but I was like, I ended up going with... The fi- like films that meant something to me. This like the that whereas ten things I hate about you. Means I really like it. To you. No, it doesn't mean. <laughs> I just you know I'm not as f- I've seen it maybe twice with her and I but I it's not like something I'm too familiar with. But it is like the scene is incredible. Yeah, it's so like it's electrifying. The context of the scene is that Heath Ledger's bad boy character Patrick Verona, who is oh. like essentially hired to date. There's a whole the whole thing is that there's the evil jock you know kind of fashion guy wants to date this girl, but she's got a sister who's more unruly, played by Julia Stiles. And so he has to, the father says, you can date if she dates. And it's like, oh my God, but she, she hates boys, blah, 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 blah. So Heat Ledger is recruited and, you know, it, it all goes awry in this moment where he offends the Julia Stiles character. And to make it up to her, while she's playing soccer on the field, uh, he bribes the, like the, the local band or something and they, like, he, you know, grabs the mic and interrupts the practice and sings this over the microphone, over the tannoy. Shows up, they chase him down, he's kind of in the stands and the bleachers, you know, doing his moves. And, like, I think part of the charm is that he's, like, not the greatest singer, mm-hmm. but he's putting himself out there and, you know, she's got all these shocked expressions and it totally wins her over. Uh, and you're watching, you are watching in that, se- in that sequence. It was already apparent earlier in the film, but that's the sequence where you're like, this guy... This guy's the fucking joker. Let me know. Yeah. No, no, you're, no, you're like, this guy's a star. This guy's a star. There's no question this guy's a star. 100%. And the beauty of it is, it's like he's playing such a cool, aloof, kind of, you know, burnout character. And then he's doing this kind of cheesy public display in that moment. And it feels earned. And it's like very, it's such a lovely character moment as well. It's great. Uh, there was um there was a Huffington Post article in 2019 in which they did like a 20 year anniversary piece about it and obviously Heath Ledger unfortunately left us in 2008 he was only 28 I forget how I young know, he was it's crazy I, I read that recently it was about him being like whatever age he was making the Joker on the verge of you know like ultimate megastardom obviously mm. post Joker and everything but yeah it's a genuine tragedy he was so fucking talented and yeah. cool but um the director Gil Junger or Younger I don't know how it's pronounced um describes like you know he said um remembering Heath Ledger his first day on the set. He goes, um, a white worn-out leather belt, some crazy pair of white shoes, a hat, and who knows what shirt. I looked at him and I thought to myself, if I put on any one of these pieces of clothing, everyone around me would burst out laughing, but for whatever fucking reason on Heath, it was so cool, he could sell anything. 
talks about his audition and how like he goes I'd already looked at about 250 guys and I still wasn't happy I still hadn't found that magic that I felt was out there and Heath walks in and I thought to myself if this dude can read I'm going to cast him and then says that like uh, you know he goes literally the instant the door closed behind him I said I have never wanted to have sex with a man but if I had to have sex with a man that would be him hire him right now <laughs> Uh, and, and he was hired within an hour. And by the way, he's talking about an 18 year old. <laughs> so just so you know. <laughs> like, I don't know. Um, Julius Dawes goes, Heath just surprised everyone with his commitment to the performance of the whole thing. And there's someone who worked in the band saying he knew he wasn't great. And that's the charm of the scene, that it's bad. I think he probably went for it in that way, not being prepared, but being as goofy as he could be, running around the bleachers, doing his thing. And they say that, you know, he's doing take after take. And, you know, he sounds terrible, but he's super charming, has a great smile. That's what makes, that's what makes it work. So yeah, he was always silly and fun. There's a lot of his personality in that scene that shines through. Later on in his career, he spent most of his time figuring out ways of disappearing and not sharing as much of himself in his roles or trying to create characters. But I think there's a lot of Heath in Patrick Verona, at least in certain moments. And there's one more quote from the director <clears throat> where he says, I told Heath, look, I just want you to know that when this movie comes out, you're not going to know what the fuck hit you. People are going to be clamoring to work with you and I bet your next offer is going to be a million dollars. And as a new friend, I was just telling him to do his best, to remain who he was, an old soul, mature, not distracted by drugs. Then he said to me, I really appreciate the advice, but rather than worry about what's going to happen, help me be the best I can today. For an 18-year-old who's getting his first movie, and that first movie's with a Disney studio, and the director of your first real movie is telling you you're going to be a huge star, any kid I know would have been like, man, that's fucking cool, I hope so, but not Heath. He wanted to be the best he could in that moment, and that's so telling of who he was. Wow. Yeah, he was so good, and like, and this scene, like, I remember seeing it for the first time, and it, it's so charming. Like I saw yeah. this in the cinema when it came out, and I, I, it is a really fun movie. There's lots of great music in it. The band Letters to Cleo are in it as well, and yeah, it was just—it's just such a cool performance, even though it's not cool. But he's yeah. cool. Like there's nothing, you know. It's that classic thing of like, you know, Tyler Durden in Fight Club wears those clothes, and like if you or I put those clothes on, or the or the Scorpion jacket, jacket you drive, drive, and yeah. you're like, doesn't work yeah. on 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 boys like us. No, I watched it. I rewatched Drive the other evening actually, and I was like. I, it's such a naff item. I you forget, but it like Gosling is Ryan Gosling, so he. Can... Do you ever see those like photos that like lads on the internet who bought the jacket and are trying to look cool, and you're just like, you just look like a fucking yeah. <laughs> like. I don't want to say. I mean, like, <laughs> I think he bad picked that jacket to show how cool Ryan Gosling is that he can make that item of clothing look. Cool. Yeah, I finally saw Barbie this week. Did you I, like it? It's okay. It's I like. I like. I really liked. I. I. I didn't think I would at the start. I thought I was like, "Oh, this is what it's going to be." Yeah. Kinda, the, and then I feel like once the humans came into it and it stayed zany and heightened, I was like, "Oh, I like this." I thought Gosling was amazing. I thought yeah. Margaret Robbie was great. She's always great. Uh, that was very John Trump of me. But um, she's great. She's always great. But I mean, it's it's fine. I, I didn't think it was that funny. But also, I'm coming to it after two months of like endless hype. Yes. And it, all all the best jokes being spoiled on Twitter and stuff. Yeah, but like, exactly. it's grand. Like it's grand. I, I thought it was good. But another not, film with a musical number that yeah. is in it that the, where there isn't other mu musical numbers in it well, yeah, yeah. Mm, oh, the big one at the start where at the end with the, all the Kens I'm just Ken or oh yeah that that was actually quite well done it was is Ryan Gosling the modern Heath Ledger he might be I li that's I was thinking when you were talking about him I was like has Heath Ledger been replaced and then when you said drive I was like oh it's Ryan Gosling I think <laughs> it's it, like it's. I don't think he's obviously he's not reached the absolute heights of well, the notebook, I guess, but um, in terms of like stardom of Heath Ledger, or is that is that insane to say? It was La La Land as well. La La Land, true, yeah. yeah. 
Hey, guys, The Gray Man, which the Adam Gray Man. gave four stars to. On yeah, Letterboxd. I don't know what I was on. It was a four and a half. Go with your heart, man. I, Wild. I, I enjoyed it because I thought I enjoyed seeing Chris Evans as the bad guy for mm-hmm. a change, which was very interesting. Um, but I can't defend that. I always have a soft spot in my heart when a, a big leading man does a villain part mm. and they make, you know, ham of it. That's all. I'm all, I can never, like, uh, that is the one thing that would get me watching that film. Uh, it's like that, seeing that. Cause it's it's like, all I can offer you, I think, on it. Yeah. Well, what I can offer is telling the listener to go watch 10 Things Ahead About You and not The Grey Man. Peter, <laughs> can we have your number five, please? Okay, this is Give us a bit of mystery. A bit of mystery. Here. Okay, this is, in many ways, he is the Heath Ledger of comedy. Uh, well, he's not, the, he's not the star of the scene, the main actor of the film that is about to be the clip is about to be played uh, it's m- one of my favourite scenes in any comedy it's just so stupid it makes me laugh it's a film I've watched time and time again on comedy uh, what you call Comedy Central on uh, when I was growing up and uh, yeah there's no real artistic merit to it uh, so yeah I'll just go straight into it Of the smiles we left behind Smiles again to one another Of the way we were Can it be that it was all so simple then? Or has time rewritten it? That is the dulcet tones of Priscilla Presley uh, in Naked Gun Two and a Half. Uh, I think is that the smell of fear. The smell of fear. Smell of fear. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's uh, one of my favorite comedies of all time. Uh, all of them are. I think they're as a tr- they're like they're a perfect trilogy. They films. are fantastic. Yeah, they really are. Even the third one, which gets a bad rap, has some hysterical. Which jokes. is the third one? Which is the one where like uh, Anna Nicole Smith is in it's one? That with the third one, it's, it's White Heat, basically. And she, Fred like, Ward, and she scratches his back, and then he comes home, and like she takes Priscilla Presley takes the shirt off, and she's like Frank, and he goes, "I fell," and then he goes, "On a rake." <laughs> yes, that's it. Yes, and there's the bit where it's panned up to her legs, and it passes her knees, and it keeps going, it keeps going, and passes her <laughs> knees again. <laughs> It's incredible. Not to derail too hard, but like I rewatched the first one about a year and a bit ago, and I was just like, "This is." I was like, "The hit rate." It's like it's like, insane. It's nuts. And like, I think my favorite gag, and there's so many of them. First of all, at the end, at the end, like on the baseball field, when like just weird, absurd shit keeps happening, like there's just tigers there all of a sudden for yeah. no reason. But like the bit where driving gets out of his car and like goes to park it and walk away, but then the car. Like basically, like he reactivates itself, and the airbags go off, and it starts driving towards, and he like, like he just pulls out a gun and like starts shooting at his own car, and then like goes to chase it, and then he's like, he's like, he's like, he's like, anyone get the license plate? Yeah. And he's like, anyone get a look at the driver? Like, it's so they are just perfect. It's like Leslie Nielsen is the one where like. I'm so sad I will never get to meet him. Like, I'm so sad. Like, I will, I'd love to, like, have just met the man. He's, I love him so much. But that scene is from, yeah, the second one, and it's her. It's like the classic scene, you know, Psycho is the obvious one, but just general, like, thriller scene. Uh, she's in the shower, is She's she? in the shower, yeah. and the villain is in the apartment, and he's sneaking in. He's menacing as fuck. menacing yeah. hitman coming in to take <laughs> her out. And, uh... So that's the, you know, that's the scene that, the, the, that's the, the, the trope that's been spoofed there. But yeah, as you heard, yeah, she's just singing away. She's singing the way we were. 
and then the hitman, this amazing actor, I can't, don't know his name, but he's worked with like, and like Clint Eastwood movies a lot. He's like a classic kind of gaunt character actor who's just made for those kind of parts with like kind of stringy hair. And he's going in, he look, he just looks the part and he's sneaking in with his silence pistol and she starts singing and then he's, it gets like visibly emotional. <laughs> And then he starts, uh, yeah, obviously just gently. He's got a beautiful voice. He's joining the song. He can't help himself. And then he belts it out. And obviously then she screams. Her. It's so funny. It's I, I just, it's like a perfect scene to me. I might, I, I might, it's on, it's on like Channel 4's app thing at the moment. So I might go home and watch it tonight. Cause like you, you've got me in the mood. It's got, it's amazing. It's got, they all have great villains, but like Robert Goulet is the main <laughs> villain. Like, uh, he's so uh, smarmy and, uh, Obviously, the comedy stylings of O.J. Simpson, uh, and it's got uh, yeah, it's got everything. That's right. Yeah, he is in those movies. I mean, he he takes a lot of punishment in those movies. He does it's a lot so, of physical yeah. punishment. So yes. maybe like there's some kind of weird karmic reverse or something. But there's also like I mean, I remember uh, on the Leslie Nielsen ones. Obviously, you know, Airplane. We all know is like the the funniest film ever made. But mm, like, yeah. and again, rewatched it a while ago, and just the, the nonstop jokes apply. Mm. You're just like, this is just insane. So there's one he may call Spy Hard. Oh, um, I've seen it. That was the first Leslie Nielsen film. I ever saw okay so yeah. it's on like I remember seeing it when I was a kid and I loved it but I'm I'm sure it's not one of the better ones but I do remember it had like one of the best jokes I ever saw in, in a thing and it was like he's in so like he's like an ex government mm-hmm. agent or something but like you know trying to live out his twilight years at this stage because you know Leslie Nielsen he's one of those guys who always looked at whatever age he always looked, yeah. like, always looked like he was 70 years yeah. old yeah, like John yeah, Carpenter yeah. or something it's just that weird thing where it's like they, there's one version of them that only exists Steve in pop Martin culture as well. Clint yeah. Eastwood I think is yes. probably another yeah. one it's yeah. kind of weird like I mean Ed Harris maybe like, they've always just kind of looked yeah, the same Ed Harris, <laughs> that's a great joke but yeah. I mean it's this yeah. thing of like um, so Leslie Nielsen he's in like a shop or something and I think he's just like um, picking up a golf club or something and like a guy sees him and like goes and does this exa- like exaggerated like oh I'm going to creep up behind him and give him a fright and he like goes over to him and like goes, taps him on the shoulder and he and Leslie Nielsen turns around like with the golf club raised and he's like Rah! and like it's just like a real like nah, nah, nah. and he goes oh and he goes oh it's you and it's like he's like oh good to see you man and he's like yeah he's like oh it's been so long they're clearly like their former like partners yeah, or something yeah, yeah. and he goes he goes he goes oh we go way back don't we and he goes yeah and then Leslie Nielsen just stops and like looks up and a thought bubble emerges and it just replays the scene you've just <laughs> seen. <laughs> It's, fucking, it's, it's absolutely incredible. Like, it's like it's fucking unbelievable. Oh, oh that's like but, Simpsons level. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Even like even a lesser one. Like yeah. Like Spy Hard or Wrongfully Accused. Oh you know, man. Uh, the fugitive thing. Yeah. And the whole the train chasing. The train chasing <laughs> yeah. yeah. through the cornfield like yeah. coming around a tree. You, you sent me that recently. Like it's, it's like Jurassic Park. Yeah. Even like even the name Wrongfully Accused is very it's funny. A, yeah. It's like, a genius name. <laughs> And but uh, like even those, yeah, even the, the, the forgotten ones, they've got like decent. They do, yeah. There's like Fatal Instinct. He's not in that, but like even like National Lampoon's Loaded Weapon One. Like these aren't necessarily great classics, but there's always a couple of good gags. Oh yeah, and Loaded Weapon has some hilarious ones. My favorite one in that one, and again, I know we're derailing like fuck here, but this is the podcast this week, guys. Um, is when Movie again, zone. it's so it's like a lethal weapon take off, and it's Samuel L. Jackson and Emilio Estevez. Yes, it's the movie zone. Yeah, this is movie zone. Um. And there's a part where, like, they're in a car, and one of them goes, he goes, wait, and he goes, what? And he, and he goes, we're being followed. And it cuts to, like, there's just two ninjas in the back seat of the car <laughs> who weren't there before. And he's like, I'm going to lose them. And, like, they do, like, a, a spin and go around a, a corner, and they go back, and they're just gone. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking mental. Oh, I, that's... It's Absurdist that, humour is the best. Yeah, yeah. it really just, is. Yeah. I just... It's, they, they, it brings me such joy. That, that like, that scene, like, I... I I didn't revisit the film. I just like 
watch the scene again. I just every now and again I just stick on that scene on YouTube because it, it brings me such joy. The actor, it's the actor selling it. His face because he's it's, so yeah. like I, I haven't seen it in so many years, but I, I can Pretty see it immediately. Yeah. yeah, like he's just yeah. He has the thing where it's it's almost like he's like this is what I wanted my life to be, not this hitman business. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's, I, I belong on the stage. I always <laughs> think it reminds him of his mother saying yeah. to him, like oh it's like you know God. when he was a baby. Like you see it and you're like I feel like in a in a, in a lesser comedy. Or something. Yeah, I think it'd be like he gets horny and he's like yeah, you know yeah, and he's yeah. like he gets distracted by her in the shower yeah. something like that but like they went it's actually like a really <laughs> sweet scene oh man okay yeah okay so good does he fall to his death like after or something does he, like, Robert Goulet falls at the end the, the oh, main yeah, villain yeah, and that's... he bounces off that he hits the tarp over the overhanging thing on the the apartment building or whatever bounces off and he's like alive and then the, late, earlier in the film zoo animals escaped and a tiger eats him <laughs> so lion eats him <laughs> Spoiler uh, for making uh, two and a half benefit. Ah, uh, you have long, you have many years to see it, guys. You know, yeah. Um, yeah and the third, thirty-three and a third was was the last one. Yeah. Yeah. Thirty-three. 30, I guess yeah. I was like reboot them, but how could you without Leslie Nielsen? Anyway, Liam Neeson, just to get the man to say Yeah, yeah, namesake. Yeah. A man famous for his comedy. Um, right, number four for me. This is a weird one because you're going to hear like the majority of this is an existing song by an artist, but you'll hear the actor towards the end kind of joining in. But again, it's 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 weird. Like like it's 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 going to be very hard to just explain without explaining it. So we'll we'll play it first. But I remember when I first when this happened when I saw the film in question, I thought something had gone wrong because this came on out of nowhere in this very tonally totally different film to what this song is. So. So yeah, strange one there. Um, you can hear the actor coming in at the end there over the Kerry Hilson song "Pretty Girl Rock," and it sounds like he's in some level of distress. The actor is Robert Pattinson, and the film is "The Rover" from 2014, oh, which is a Australian dystopian western drama starring Guy Pearce and Robert Pattinson and Scoot McNary, and it's kind of like uh, taking place in the outback after a global economic collapse, and it's kind of Mad Maxy, but on a much more serious and dark and grim, and all humans are just killing each other type thing. So uh, for this song to come along in the middle of the movie, like I was like, what the fuck? So like Robert Pattinson's playing this character who's kind of like mentally challenged, and you know I think he does a decent job. I wonder if... Wonder if he'd do the role today. It's only mm. ten years ago, but like it's kind of one of the things where it's like, mm, is that appropriate? It's yeah. dangerous ground. But I mean, yeah. like it's it's. I thought I thought the film was was really good. Now I saw it in like. Do you ever go to screen three of the IFI in Dublin? Is that the little one? What the fuck is going on with I that was, screen? When you were talking about the thing earlier, I nearly like I saw. I've seen like killing them softly stuff there. I always Great go in there. Film, oh, it was an amazing film. But when I see, I always sit in there and I was like. Why did I not just stay at home? <laughs> like, like it's so small. It's, it's so like small, you're just watching. There's a no, big there's no drop. Belly. Like it's, like it's yeah. if someone sits in front of you, he's even like an inch taller than you. You're yeah. like great. Um, it's just a weird screen. I love the IFI. I love Screen Two. I love Screen One. But Screen Three is mental. And I saw that there. And I remember just sitting there being like, the the, the Rover is a film I quite like. I want to. I haven't gone back to it. It's got a great ending. 
but it's that weird thing. I remember at the time being like, this is like the definition of like the three star indie film that's like more yeah. admirable than enjoyable. Yeah. And you're like, it's got a lot going for it and there's so much to admire, but it's just lacking and that's kind of the point. And, yeah. that, and I'm and I'm kind of sick of this now, but it does have great performances and I did like where it went. But the point is that Guy Pearce and Robert Pattinson find themselves kind of teamed up and they're very at odds, like kind of a dangerous alliance type thing. And like I say, the Pattinson character is, is mentally challenged and like there's elements of like, well, you know, where's this greedy going to go and what's the story with this guy? And after like, after many moments of just bleakness and horror, they walk across this like kind of like just this desert patch at one stage and out of nowhere, <laughs> this song comes on and I sat in the cinema and I was like, something's gone wrong something's happened, the projectionist has done something or something like this. This makes no fucking sense. Why is this here? And only until it cuts to a sequence of Robert Pattinson inside a car and you're like, oh, the character's listening to this song and he's trying to sing along with it, but he's just like obviously distressed and he's like not in the right mind or whatever. Um, and it's that thing of like, you know, it gets across the humanity of the character and he's quite childlike and this is his song. And it's this weird jarring thing. Now, I've seen people kind of rail against this and be like, it's just clumsy filmmaking. I, I thought it worked, but there was a piece in like Complex magazine a while ago where they where the critics said, at the screening I attended, everyone laughed during this moment. Uh, it's a gag, a spectacle at least, at best something to make you condescendingly sympathize with the disabled character on the eve of something awful. And they sign off by saying, in a better future, it wouldn't be this way. In a less pedestrian movie, the scene would be the beating heart. It would be everything. And it goes, it might look like something like this. And they link to a fucking YouTube clip from the film Spring Breakers, which wow. I think is dreadful. It's the worst film ever made. That film is the smuggest thing and the emptiest thing. It's and they're shit. like, here's the Britney Spears scene from Spring Breakers. And I was like, no, 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 no. They're over. I'm not saying it's a classic, but I do think it's good. And I, apparently, I don't know if this is apocryphal, but I heard that they initially wanted to have um, Don't You by the Pussycat Dolls, but mm. I guess couldn't afford it or something. I don't know if that's true. But the director did say that, you know, with regards to making it, um, he said that like Robert Pattinson was just singing a gospel song, like you know, off like like I guess to to do the scene, mm -hmm. and it was really beautiful. But they, he said he got like he, he made it up on the spot because you know he's that kind of mess mm. It's that clear moment as well where it's the post Twilight beginnings of you know yeah, he I'm wants edgy indie guy exactly. Yeah. I want to get as far away from that world as possible. But yeah, I just, like, it, it's just, it's a weird jarring moment, and I, I do appreciate that it is the moment in the indie movie where the big flourish happens, and we've seen, it's a trick, you know, yeah. like, it, it, it's something that you employ, I think, especially in a lack of a budget situation, but I thought it worked for the character, and I remember just sitting there being, like, just so taken out of it, though, because I was like, this shouldn't be happening, mm -hmm. and it even opens with, like, a weird kind of moment where I think there's, like, there's kind of, like, voices over it or something. Like, it's like a DJ or something. And again, it's just the last thing you expect to hear. Like, those kind of weird, jarring moments. Like, they can work, but it can also take you out of the movie. So I don't mm. know. That, maybe that means it doesn't work. Yeah, I mean, it, it. it's... I think for those kind of things, it's literally, like, completely subjective. Like, not... Like, that's... I feel like you can be, like, if if it doesn't work for you... Then it won't like it just does like you can't you can't not be like well just, people can't really be like well in fairness now because if it is kind of a swing or a weird kind of it's like it isn't going to work for everyone whereas if it does work for you it really work for you but of it, nine times out of ten probably won't for most people yeah um, but I like I love I I love when I see things like that especially when the whole film isn't like that I always like. If it is like something like Spring Breakers, which I fell asleep watching, I so I don't I can't speak to it. But where that's all just you're that constantly kind of like, um, kind of, kind of pulling you out of it, like kind of pulsating kind of stuff. Whereas if it's something that's a bit grimy and grim, and then they do something that's kind of 
well, obviously the song is is at odds with it. But also, as you say, like if it comes in over the other scene, it and it really kind of it it it's. I think it can. I think you can. The director has to be like, look, this is not going to work for a lot of people. But for when the people it does work for, it will be. Yeah, kinda. it's a big swing, and I do like. I, I like. I really like Robert Pattinson. I think he's a really fucking good actor, and you know, mm-hmm. even in this role, which again, there's questionableness to it. But like, I think I need to go back and revisit it. Maybe my opinion will be different. But yeah, it was one of the first ones I thought of, and I was like, it's going in. So he's another Heath Ledger, I guess. Isn't he? Is he potentially, yeah. As in, like, like someone who was like went up against their kind of lover or their lover boy kind of persona. They're kind of the. And started getting grimier and grimier. Yeah, like let's every, get edgy. Every part he did was the Joker after Twilight, basically. And how ironic. Um, right, what's your number four? Oh, my number four is uh, You Will. Uh, one second. Oh, no. Okay, well, you will know this one as well. Uh, it is, uh, the film is, I think it's pretty much masterpiece, but I'm fairly alone in that. It's, uh, again, uh, it's a director who... Your people's mileage may vary on him. I adore him, but I this is this is one where I can't begrudge anyone for not enjoying it because it's um at times deliberately a miserable slog of a film. It's slow. It it by its nature it's a chamber piece. It's it's a slog. It's it's uh it's it's full of horrible miserable people and a lot lo- all all the things that he, he his he gets criticised for and other things he kind of amps up for this one so uh, yeah it's it's definitely probably his most divisive one uh, but there's this amazing I love it and there's this amazing amazing uh, musical moment in it when where the only female uh, of the main cast uh, sings an incredible song and plays the guitar and mm-hmm. it is uh, <laughs> it's a showstopper it, it's a showstopper Yeah, that was uh, Jennifer Jason Lee as Daisy Domergu uh, in uh, Quentin Tarantino's The Hateful Eight. Um, yeah, singing, uh, it's, uh, the title's, it's Botany Bay, but it's Jim, I'm blank, embarrassingly blank on the title of the song, but it is, uh, it's, it's just, it's an incredible moment. It's haunting. It's, she plays uh, this like capti- captured outlaw who's on her way, uh, been brought to, to be hung. Uh, by Kurt Russell's bounty hunter character and she's this you're told how much of a horrible criminal psychopath she is and she acts horrible she's racist she's spitting and clawing at her captors uh, but Kurt Russell who is the guy bringing her ostensibly the good guy he's like like assaulting her constantly, constantly punching her yeah, in the face yeah. like she gets more and more battered as, as the film goes on black eyes and just missing teeth like he's uh, he's just treating her like any other kind of criminal in a western. Uh, it's it's really tough, kind of their relationship. It's a fascinating relationship with a film, and it's so it's, it almost becomes like a bickering couple. It, and then he remembers himself and he goes back to 
like kicking her and booting her and dragging her. And he's charmed her. by her when she's playing the song at first. He is. And then it turns at the end and he grabs the guitar and smashes it. And you know the real story. And I know the real story. Tell the real story. The real story is um, that the guitar, they use this this replica, one of a kind guitar for her to play it. And then they had a a replica made for this moment where he smashes it. And whatever happens, the official story is that he he picked up the real guitar by accident at one offer and smashed it when he wasn't meant to smash it. And that's the take that you see in the movie. And that's the take you see in the movie. And her reaction. Is real. But it takes place in a, like the whole, it's a master shot. Like it's, it's one take, like from her playing. I th- maybe I misremember, but I don't think I am. He grabs the guitar out of her hand and smashes it. So the whole thing happens in one shot. So I don't know how it was not on purpose, but... Uh, maybe yeah. they were on like take 12 or something. Maybe, and, and maybe the, the plan was to cut in or whatever. And, and then, he fucking smashes it. Like I mean, Jeff Jarrett, the wrestler, like it's proper. It's like splinters. And she's like, she full on, has, she's like, whoa, yeah. whoa, and whoa. And like, it's real, like, you know, Freaked. and apparently that was Jason Lee's real life reaction to knowing that this priceless guitar <laughs> had been smashed in front of her. The Kurt Russell did not realize that he was smashing Price guitar. And the place that lent them the guitar in the first place then said what afterwards? I don't know that. What they said, they? we are never lending any film anything again. I mean, yeah, that seems like a good course of action when you, the one time you do it and they, oh yeah, we, we, we smashed it. Um, that's uh, yeah. It's just it's a it's a phenomenal film. I think I think it's a phenomenal. It's very divisive. I think it's fantastic. I think I think it's amazing. I think what it like the the how fucking dark and deep he gets in with race relations, and it's like everyone is is a horrible person in it. So it just it it gives him license to kind of talk about you know talk, like obviously at the time it was uh, you know the, the you know second class citizens like Samuel Jackson's character but he's uh, he's horrible they're he's horrible, horrible in it too they're all like, they're, in it's any other it's film like, guys. It's, it, name, it's right there in the title exactly any other film they would make him this kind of noble and it seems he might be that way up top but he's just reveals himself to be just a sadistic and yeah it's and like there's a big scene with him and it's so uncomfortable and even like the ending of the movie is so uncomfortable it's and, like, a, yeah. I, and I've seen people misread it in my opinion I think people like saw the ending as like the, like this kind of like you're mentally at the cinema like punching your fist and I'm like no not at all and like no. despite how horrible these characters are one person's face in particular is just so brutal and cruel and drawn yeah. out and I don't think it's a celebration I don't think it's justice at all it's fucking gross and I think it's meant yeah. to be gross it's meant to make you feel horrible um and at the time, and in terms of an acting showcase, it's incredible. I mean, like, Walton Goggins is an actor I've always loved, and I was so happy to see him get there. But Jennifer Jason Lee, you heard in this clip, one of the great actors, like Hudsucker Proxy, even trash, like, single by female, she's amazing in that, shortcuts. Uh, anytime she pops up in anything, I'm just like, why were you not the biggest star in the world? Yeah, like, it's, she's incredible. Do anything. And she'll have won the Oscar for this, yeah. was nominated, and I think lost to Alicia Vikander for The Danish Girl. I could be wrong on that one, but it was like... How are you not giving Jennifer Jason Lee every award under the sun for Daisy Domergue? Like, what the fuck? Insanity. That's insanity. But yeah, it's, uh, I, like, it, it was, obviously, it was probably, her character was the most divisive part of a very divisive film. And uh, look, it, it's like, but again, it's like, you can't say that he's, you go to this thing and it's like, oh, it's a woman been knocked around bastard, but you're like, it's not like it's a flippant, treated flippantly. You can't. You know, so you're I don't, meant to find it gross. Yeah. I, I think if you if you think it's funny, like I'm, I'm going, oh, that's on that's a you problem. Yeah, you know? Exactly. Like, yeah, 
It's uh, but no, it's uh, it's cartoonish and it's Tarantino and fine, but like it's just there's something horrific in that room. Like like there's just like, there's genuine malevolence among these people. They're like, they're compelling, but they're gross. Like and it's just but it doesn't mean that you can beat the fuck out of a woman for exactly. like three hours. And I don't again like you know I find myself in this Tarantino defense corner all the time. I love Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, as everyone knows. But I do I do think he gets the balance right. I actually do. I, I think this film is a lot smarter than people think it is. Oh wait, I think it's I I think I think it will be rediscovered down the line as and reappreciated um like i feel like death proof has been re like had has got reappreciation which is all well and good but i think this is a way more interesting film yeah and it has so i i do i'm hopeful that it's time will come but i uh i that, that like the moment where she starts singing the song again she's this she's almost demonic in it like in her evilness and in her performance so it's just and then to kind of have this beautiful moment of sinister grace. song yeah. yeah come out of this like you're constantly been told what a horrible person she is and you're anything she does is pretty disgusting like what she's saying to Samuel L. Jackson's character she's quite feral as she's well she's feral yeah. exactly it's feral kind of wild woman you believe everything that's been said about so, and so when that song happens it's weirdly touching because there's a humanity to this character that she's just been denied for the entire thing. And then like that in itself is, it's almost like reminding Kurt uh, Russell's character, he's taken this person to hang and his reaction of the smashing the guitar. It's like he, he allowed himself to see her as a human for a second and it's like too much for him. So he can't let that happen again. Destroys the guitar. Goes back, has to go back to what she is, which is just this like prisoner that, you know, that is uh, going to earn him however many dollars when they get to yeah to it's also going. like an obvious thing to say given the conditions in the movie but like it's a great winter movie I watched it like one kind of like Christmas or something and Me it was too. freezing and I was like every time like someone comes in they're like close the door like I was like I was like oh I, I feel like I'm there like it's just like it's like when I saw The Revenant in The Savoy and it, the heating wasn't on and it was so so cold oh it's like one of those old school like you know uh, now X. your seat shock yeah. or your seat yeah. gets yeah. shocked yeah. Kind of thing. Uh, that's very cool yeah and like the the, there's amazing. The, it's just a great piece of filmmaking that scene as well because like the guys are in the background hammering. You yeah, know, and the score. The obviously, the score in that movie, uh, Marconi. And you, know, I saw him do the score for that live in <sighs> Three Arena. It was amazing. Good lord. Uh, do you know what I was thinking? I, mean, I know, like when we did our mafia movie music episode before, mm -hmm. I rewatched it recently. We didn't pick the Untouchables, did we? No, I, I you picked Carlito's way. It was so in terms of Japan. Japan. Like, I yeah. was. I like the Untouchable score is. Like one of his best, I think. Astounding! It's, like it's a film I've seen so many times, but I rewatched it. Can I just say the perfect Sunday, you oh, know, yeah. late afternoon, early evening movie? And like I was just like, this music is relentless. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like take a take a minute off, Ennio. No, no, <laughs> oh, it's, and it's like it go it, like the opening credits are so <laughs> sinister <laughs> and like building, and yeah. then you've got the like the lush of the Canada, like where it becomes almost like a western, and the scenes where the scene where they go and raid the. Is it like a printing press that has a, a distillery in the back or something? It's like a post office. Post yeah, office. Yeah. And, and the music just is like that, like, swelling, like... The kinda, death motif, the fucking, oh, the closing stuff. It's, it's one of, it's it's one one of the great oh, scores. God. He's the best, for my money, the best composer. And, like, Untouchables, it's one of my favourite films and all that. I, I would have came close to putting it on, but I just, I was like... Most people will know it or not, you know. Yeah, well, so just, you know, let's get that shit in. Right, number three for me. How do you feel about Hubris. Uh, I suffer from it. <laughs> How do you feel about vanity projects? Uh, I, I, I love many of them. Okay. I also don't like other ones of them. Um, 
I critical think, critical bombs as well, like an actor kind of putting all their salt into something and it just being a disaster. Oh. So, going to take you back to the year in 1991 for a film I rewatched this week, and here's a musical number featuring two actors. You may grow up to be a fish. Oh, would you like to swing or stop? Every man beams home in a jar and be better off than you are. Rather be a pig. A pig is an animal with dirt on his face. His shoes are a terrible disgrace. He's got no manners when he eats his food. He's fat and lazy and extremely rude. But if you don't care a feather or a pig, <laughs> you may grow up to be a pig. And all the monkeys are in the zoo. Every day you see quite a few. Right, so when, when Peter McGann figured out what this was, he punched the air uh, with both arms. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. This is the film Hudson Hawk from 1991, and in that clip you heard Bruce Willis and Danny Aiello, and they're doing Bing Crosby's Swinging on a Star. So these are cat burglars, and they have a whole gimmick where like his whole gimmick is that he's like, he plans the heists to old standards, and doesn't use a watch. At one stage, Ayala was like, "You got a watch," and he's like, "You know, like I, I, I got my songs." So the, I think they, they mentioned that like the version of "Swinging on a Star" that they previously have heisted to is five and a half minutes long. This heist takes about two and a half minutes. Uh, so it's a bit of a weird thing. But this film is fucking deranged, by the way. Yeah, it was a massive bomb. It made a bit of money, but it was a massive critical bomb, and everyone was like, "What the hell is this?" He plays the cat burglar. He gets out of prison. There's these very cartoonish bad guys led by Richard E. Grant and Sandra Bernhardt. There's CIA agents named after candy bars. There's slapstick violence. There's weird adult violence. There's an incomprehensible plot. There's the Vatican are involved. Like I, I was watching the other night and I was like, this film is... I saw it when I was younger. I think, I think when I was a kid, I thought it was like the coolest thing ever. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it feels like an attempt to make this kind of R-rated cartoon. And it was very clear that Bruce Willis was like, this is my thing. This is what we're going to do. It's by the director of Heathers, Michael Lehman. So I think, you know, there was a lot of good pedigree here, but like, I don't hate it. I really don't. But I rewatched it the other night and I was just like, this film is fucking mental. But I do think that the sequence is quite inspired. It's one of the great concepts for a caper movie ever. Just that there, the timing. Like, that's like old Hollywood. Like, that's the kind of thing is like, you know, the kind of Billy Wilder would have like, like given his left arm to come up with. It's it's like you can't like I the film for me like I I remember hearing about it I knew its reputation when I was a teenager I was like but I all the details about it sounded like this film's just made for me I need to see this film everything about it except for like obviously the the, the reviews around it so I found on DVD uh, when I was up in Dublin uh, once and I was like I bought it I couldn't believe my luck. Like Wasn't who? that shop Laser by any chance? Was it? Because yeah, that's, that's where I tracked it down years ago. I think it was HMV. Okay, in, uh, the one that's on Jervis Street. But, but I bet you, sorry, I bet you had the reaction though that I had, where you were like, "I know it's trash, but like it's a rare find." I was like, "That's what it was." I saw it and I grabbed. It. I was like, "I'm buying this." That's exactly what it was. I have, to like, have it and like I, catch the hawk. <laughs> catch the catch the. That was the cat tagline. That was the tagline. <laughs> this uh, summer. Yeah. There's great stuff in it. Like James Colburn is a CIA agent uh, who does wacky kung fu at the end. He does, and like if if. If like there's great stuff in it where you're like that's on paper James Colburn as the villain who's a CIA agent is a great idea and then 
but like obviously it's the whole thing as you said it's one giant cartoon there's too many ideas in it I mean like you got David Caruso as this kind of henchman who has these pre-prepared yeah. cards that refer to the situation dies, that you're in like one. Richard E. Grant is eating the scenery oh. I mean like like it's not it's 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 uniquely terrible, but it's it, the, there's parts that work, there's parts that don't, and as you say, the idea of the heist, the classic standard, is cool. You know, they do one later on to like Paul Anka's side by side. Mm. Again, I think the timing is probably off because it's a movie. You got to you know you got to splice things here and there. But it's and even in the clip though, because Bruce Willis, of course, let's, let, as we know, famously fancied himself a singer. He had that album Return of Bruno. Return of, Br- of Bruno, yeah. And you hear in that clip as well, you can hear the exact moment where he's really getting into, he's putting the sauce on it. Yeah. And he's yeah. like, and all the monkeys <laughs> are in the zoo. <laughs> it's, just like, it's just like, okay, Bruce. Like, oh. and I, and even, but in that moment, like in the scene, Danny Aiello like slides in, like on mm-hmm. his kind of like, like yeah. on his street shoes and yeah. he's got like his hands by his side and you're like, I, you can't not love that bit. No, it's great and like uh, I. It's too charming. It's too charming and like I am. I Danny Aiello is not an actor that I particularly care for or or I pee Danny. But uh, I take I that him, dead man. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I just I, he's not a he's not a, a screen presence that does a whole lot for me now. What about do the right thing. Uh, I rewatched that again recently. Again, I'm like. As the like, racist pizzeria owner. Is he racist? He, he, uh, by the uh, end he is. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, he is. He eventually, he eventually, the mask slips. The mask yeah. slips. Yeah, no, he yeah. Is, no, it is. But he's like, you know, he's... Uh, and I'm pretty sure, can I just say, well, they do the right thing, Spike Lee, master, five-star masterpiece. I think when Danny Aiello died, I hadn't seen do the right thing in so, so long that I kind of misremembered the character. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure I wrote, like, it's a story for Joe.ie when he died. And I was like, and of course, Aiello is remembered for such famous roles as, and I was like, Leon. And, and I think I said, like, and the kindly pizzeria owner and do the right thing and then I, I was like oh no wait and then when I rewatched it kindly for like 90% most of the of film, the film. <laughs> and then, then he, yeah. he reveals his true no, nature he yeah. he, 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 he's, he's, he's annoyed They're, they brought his place down but uh, who no. are they Peter no oh, no 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 those shows are no, cancelled no more great lives you're right I agree with everything you just said no. but he's uh, it's, a, it's a complicated it's a complicated film it's a wonderful film it's an amazing film and he's great in it but you don't care for Danny Aiello uh, he's amazing in that film he is really good and he's he's so soulful in it and it's a complicated complex part like the stuff with um, Mookie's sister uh, played by his real sister uh, you know he's kind of weirdly inappropriately into her even though she's so young and he's this you know very middle-aged guy and there is it's a very a very interesting part and very like it's very complicated part but so he's got a lifetime pass for that have you seen the terrible film two days in the valley i have is, seen that it's a real pulp fiction knockoff Do you know like, what he's not uh, bad in that either well it's he's not terrible in it but it's it's a weird collection of characters but i will say at the end of that movie his character is like a hitman or something and at the end of the movie like there's a part where he's driving off with his new love and he says, like, he literally says, he goes, we can use this as seed money to start a pizzeria. And I'm like, oh, come on. Oh. Like, what are you doing? Like, like, no. He does do that, doesn't he? Yeah. So watch Do the Right Thing. Don't watch Two Days in the Valley. Maybe watch Hudson Hawk. Do watch Hudson Hawk. Even hmm. when, before I, I knew the medical condition of Bruce Willis and he was making all that stuff. And you just hear all the stories about how he's checked out and how he doesn't care. And it, it, it's always upsetting here. But then I'm like, Hudson Hawk is proof that he cared once. Like, he cared He really wanted that so movie to work, yeah, that. massively. And he's clearly having a lot of fun. Um, and yeah, love to Bruce Willis uh, in his current condition. Anyway, that's my number three, Hudson Hawk. Weird Amazing. Song. Swinging on a star. Bing Crosby. Is it a good song? It's good in the movie. It's I don't a know. great song. Oh, it's a great song. <laughs> right, you're up next. Okay, number three. Number three is... Uh, it's a. You'll definitely know this one. Everyone will know this one. It's a childhood staple. It's one of the most... It's very similar 
no, it, it's similar in the sense of uh, the 10 things I hate about you, where you've got this aloof um, character all of a sudden um, dropping, uh, just kind of in a, in a dropping their kind of uh, their, their aloofness and they've, they, they show their affection for the main character through song. Uh, and it's the the impact of the scene is because this the character you're used to being this kind of repressed kind of person all of a sudden is letting loose. It's a childhood staple. It's pretty much uh, a masterpiece. And uh, yeah. If I had words to make a day for you, I'd sing you a morning golden and true. I would make this day last for all time Then fill the night deep in moonshine If I had words to make a day for you I'd give you a morning golden and true That is uh, James Cromwell as Farmer Hoggett from Babe. Babe won. <laughs> as it was called. In Babe Origins. They, they were getting ahead of themselves. Uh, that, yeah, singing, um, singing, to, singing to the titular Babe. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just such a beautiful, beautiful scene. And it, it as a kid, it's because... His, his his performance is amazing, but as a kid, when you watch it, it's it's so he's so intimidating. It's very intimidating for him, but how he looks and how he behaves, you're like, oh, he's a the stern kind of figure. And then when he when that scene happens, I just as a, for a kid, it's mind blown. It's like seeing like you know a scary teacher or or someone kind of in an alone moment suddenly drop all guys and kind of show their show their sentiment and their affections. And uh, obviously the clip. The, the clip goes on he he's literally dancing a jig around the sitting room he hits his head in the ceiling yes and the, and then the, the the all the other animals are outside watching him and he gets embarrassed i'm going to i'm going to upset you now this is a true story so this comes out in 95 i think so yeah so i'm like 10 or 11 i went to see it in the cinema this is the moment where i walked out of the film what i hated it oh I it, I really I don't know I can't explain this I know I know I should be in the Hague I know, but I I remember vividly when he hit his head, even at like eleven or ten, I did the Jerry Seinfeld that's it for me and I <laughs> got up and I went home a critic from a day critic was one. born yeah, yeah. Not, you know you might have detected the slight smugness in my voice there but um I don't know I don't know if I'm proud of it I just I just did not connect to this movie that's do you know something. I watched it loads as a kid. I saw it in the cinema and then had it on video. It was always like, as a kid, when you like baddies and you like, you know, you know, plot and stuff like that. It's a boring enough out film, but it's it's like a warm bath of a thing as well. And like, but I and I watched it loads regardless. And uh, and when I was thinking revisiting it, and I was like, that's it's just one of the great scenes. Like, it's just such a good scene. And I went back to it and I watched it and I was like, yeah, no, this is. It just ha- hit me in the heart it's in really the same de- way it's that it's devastating, almost, isn't it? At it the is, start, because yeah. it's like I remember almost being afraid 
as a kid of that character like mm-hmm. uh, oh know? yeah and then for that moment to happen it's just like er, your, your whole world in that moment has turned upside down because it's when like, a few minutes prior he's going to shoot him exactly he's going to put two bullets in maybe his I just couldn't handle the tension I had, that, I, I had you don't to. have to you don't have to. <laughs> I'm trying to analyse my. You're ten, making it interesting. My it's ten year old like brain tension now between the thing where you're like, no, you have to just no. It's uh, I get like it's it. It was a film I watched a lot as a kid, but I definitely like you are a bit like, oh, I wish there was a a bad person trying to steal the pig to make sausages out of him or something, but you know, <laughs> some like tr- you know tr- things. Write like, it down, Peter. Write yeah. it down. <laughs> but um, you know, kind of wacky burglars try to steal tractors from the farm and um, the pig sets burglars. traps from them. You know. <laughs> Hamburglers die. <laughs> yes. Maybe a henchman shows up and he hears the song on much like Naked Gun 2. He starts singing along. Sing along. Now, that's now we're that's what they should have done. How do you feel about Babe 2, Pig in the City? I've only seen it once. I was young when I saw it. It's it's mad and mental. I'd like out of curiosity maybe to revisit it. Um it's, that's the one he direct George Miller directed, isn't it? Did, Did he, he not do both of them? He uh, produced the first one. Okay, right. Someone else directed it. And, uh, I mean, it's such an interesting... <laughs> Mad Max Fury Road from the director of Babe 2, Pig in the City. <laughs> yeah. And Happy Feet. And Happy Feet, yeah. But, I, it, but like, it's such an interesting thing to go from, like, that beautiful, lush, like, gold or golden hour look of Babe set in this rural place. It's, like, it's such an interesting tactic for a kid's movie sequel to go, let's go to the city and make some hellish... I can see the trailer now being like, you know, and now! And it's just, like, you yeah. know, like, fucking playing, like, whatever, like, and then I'm sure there's, like, I'm walking here! Like, like, kind of... <laughs> but I think, like, it's, like, a weird city where, like, the Eiffel Tower is there and Big Ben. There's all... I, I, oh, wow, that sounds deranged. Oh, uh, no, it is, no, 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 it's not. It, you If you don't know much about it, it is, like, a... It's, a like, a weird, like, nightmare... Of a film. What? I thought it was just like he goes to New York no, or something. No, 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 no. It's a aesthetically completely different, tonally completely different. It It is one of the most interesting sequels ever for that reason. Okay. Where you get this beloved, untouchable film. And then you're like, well, we can't just do, you know, the same thing again for to diminish returns. So let's just burn it all down and they'll hate us for it, but they'll thank us later. And that's basically what happened with Babe Too Big in the City. Okay, now Mickey have- Rooney plays a creepy clown in it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Maybe I need to. Stephen Wright voices a chimp. It's what he's born to do. Yes. You know? it's, uh, the... Okay. Um, shall we move on to my number two? Yes. Uh, <laughs> I, I, for one, would love to hear your number two. So it's I. I didn't pick Scott Pilgrim, like I said, but I have gone for a broad comedy, a very problematic comedy. That has I a know bit what of. A, it's going to be. Do you know what it's going to be? Something about Mary. Nope. Oh! No, no, this one's much more small scale and, uh, than than that. And it's um, it's got a cult following, but this moment is just a bizarre... <gasps> Freddy got fingered. Nope. Oh. A bizarre, inspired, weird thing that at the time you're like, what the fuck is he doing in this? So here's my, here's my number two. Hey, listen up, everybody. Got a little special thing I'd like to do tonight. I'll play a little song for you about the nastiest, freakiest little sex puppet I know, Fiona. This one's for you, baby. Happy anniversary. Sk- 
Johnny doesn't know that Fiona and me do it in my van every Sunday. She tells him she's in church, but she doesn't go. Still, she's on her knees, and Scotty doesn't know. Oh, Scotty doesn't know. Well, so don't tell Scotty. Scotty doesn't know. Scotty doesn't know. Um, that is Scotty Doesn't Know yes. uh, sung by a band called Lustra but it's Matt Damon in the fucking movie mm-hmm. the movie's Eurotrip and Matt Damon shows up at this party this high school party and he's got a shaved head he's got fake like lip rings and like piercings and tattoos and he's like you know this is for my girl so the girl is played by Christian Crook who was in Smallville uh, very photogenically a positive person good for her um, and in the film so she's meant to be the, the chaste girlfriend of our lead character Scotty um, and I think they maybe haven't slept together or something. And you know, I've seen it once years ago. Yet I still yeah. remember the lyrics. It's, the song is fucking amazing. It's so amazing. catchy. So it's again, amazing. So again, the film is Eurotrip. It's two thousand four, and basically, like this scene happens, and Scotty has no idea that he's been cheated on this whole time, and finds out through the medium of song. Mm-hmm. It's the cruelest thing I've ever seen. Yeah, it's so shocking that like because again like his girlfriend like legs it and go, joins on stage starts sexy dancing with Matt Damon they're basically like having sex on stage almost and then at the end like she's singing along she's like Sky does enough and it's just like and he's just standing there the whole time watching this happen looking so dour it is <laughs> yeah. it's just like absolutely it's like the Fucking most hell. vicious murder I think I've, I've seen <laughs> this side of like a fucking you know like I don't know, like it's a Palma movie or something, but like it's just it's sh- it's shocking. But also the song is just so good. Yeah, it's so good, and it's just like what, like why, why is Matt Damon here? People want to know, and I can tell you. So what happened was, um, the guys who made it, one of whom is like Alec Berg, who worked oh, on Seinfeld, Barry. And, yeah, That's Barry, right. yeah. and like uh, Silicon Valley, this kind of stuff. So the film Road Trip comes out, and this is meant to be some kind of like European follow-up type thing. It's barely connected. There's no characters from the original, and it didn't do half as well. But it's it has not the, same, not the same production team either. I think it's like completely different personnel entirely. Is it? Maybe, but they, there was some slight connective tissue, I think. But like, and also like, I rewatched this a couple of years ago. It's it's a very problematic film. It's mm. full of very questionable humor throughout. Fred Armisen is like a creepy gay Italian. Yeah, that's happening. Yeah. Uh, you name it. Like you know, every stereotype under the sun is in this movie, and it's just wildly questionable. Like, but it, like it has a bit of a following. Vinnie Jones pops up as he a does, as, as a, a football as hooligan. A football yeah. hooligan. Throughout, doesn't he? Like showing up through. Yeah, it's spots. just weird. But like it, I don't know. There is a there is a lightness of touch at, at times to it. There is a charm to it. But it's just with each new joke, you're just like, oh Christ! You're like really like this was this was fine in 2004. Okay, so. Um, what happened was, let me just try and find this. Uh, one of the writers said we were shooting this film in Prague, and it was during the Gulf War and, and SARS. Did what he... a time to be alive! <laughs> <laughs> and the Gulf War? Does he mean the Iraq War? He does. Yeah, the Gulf War was in the, the like, 90s, 90s, right? Early 90s. So there was a war, and he goes, and SARS, and he goes, and we had a very limited budget, so we didn't have the money to fly people from Los Angeles to Prague, nor did people want to get on a plane from Los Angeles to Prague. Um, our pool of talented actors was reduced to who's shooting a movie in Prague right now. And Matt Damon was shooting the Brothers Grimm uh, right there. He's pleasure. 
uh, with Heath Ledger. Uh, we were talking with him and his head was shaved because he had to wear a wig for the movie. And he just stopped smoking. So in his words, he had, quote, swelled up like a tick. So he was buff. And we were talking to him and we were like, we've got this thing. Would you like to do it? And he's like, that sounds fun. I'd love to. I can do it on such and such a day, which I think was literally June the 21st, the longest day of the year. And we're shooting a night scene in Prague with five hours of darkness. And they go on to say, like, you know, it was great. He showed up and it was fun. Uh, Scott Melkowitz, who plays the titular Scotty, um, is having a bit of fun with his answer here. He goes, Matt Damon was great. Scotty doesn't know, follows him around too. I think in the third Bourne film, if you listen closely, it's playing in his little covert earpiece as he's sniping someone. <laughs> it helps channel his rage. He was shooting Brothers Grimm with Heath Ledger. They used to go to the same bar on weekends during shooting. When I was first driving out to California for college to be with my girlfriend, I wrote in shoe polish on my rear window, I'm going to see about a girl. So it was a real treat working together I don't know if he's taking the piss there or if he's just a fucking weirdo but yeah the song's amazing the band Lustra they were the roommates I think of the writer possibly and they're like you know they have I looked it up they have 1.4 million monthly listeners on Spotify to this day and put out their last album in 2008 they were not wow. a hit but this song was a hit but yeah I just like it's it's a jarring moment and again as a standalone song it, it does actually kind of rule it's very catchy it's, it's very all that great. time it's so it fits right song. into the whole kind of Fall Out Boy era and also my favourite bit is at the very end when they're all just kind of chanting it and the music is stopped and they're all like Sky doesn't know Sky doesn't and then you hear one guy goes Scotty's gotta go and it's like, <laughs> this, it's like this poor guy like what the fuck why does he deserve this but also, isn't it like one of the main plot devices of the whole film is like this goes is like a viral sensation oh, yeah, 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 and yeah, follows yeah, yeah, them yeah, to yeah. Europe. I think there's a moment where like they're in like Bratislava or something. Yeah, oh yeah, and, like, your man driving the van. Yeah, yeah. and like, I think somebody even like recognised him and like that's the guy. But yeah, no, it's 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 a it's a genius gag. Yeah, the Matt Damon is. thing is a, is a wonderful cherry on top. The song rules, but again, I'm like man. You know, if you've ever been cheated on or anything like that, or even just, you know, like in those tough, unrequited situations, like, yeah. can you fucking imagine? I, I know, like, teenagers are cruel, right? And high school teenagers in American movies are, are cruel, but you're like, I'm sorry. Like, there should have been arrests for what happened there. That is the most elaborate, horrible thing to do to a human being. It's like, what the fuck? And like, right at the start. Like, yeah. he's not, like, right he's not like an abusive boyfriend. He's like a nice guy. And like this, it's like, oh man, it's, it's brutal. It's like the, the, the peak of those like American Pie gross out comments. Yeah, like, yeah, it yeah. reached its zenith around this time. I remember it was like Eurotrip was like, I don't know what's one of the last ones, but it definitely was like there had been so many for the last like, uh, five or so years of these kind of films so it's almost like they're like we need to just go so everything was just disgusting it stopped being like <laughs> it was you know, yeah it was like, like, off yeah, you know every yeah. scene was the pie fucking scene like or some <laughs> version of it and that's like an example of it where it's like it can't just be like he walks in his girlfriend having sex like oh Scotty I that didn't was know what it was in the original script they changed it G- like that's so inspired it's so inspired it's like I still think about a scene to this day. I saw it yeah. once as a teenager. I will never watch it again. But I still, like, I still, you know, I just know I won't. Uh, I, I probably will. There's I, part of me that really wants yeah, to. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Right, look, let's move on. Uh, that's my number two. Sky doesn't know. It's an incredible song. So, Peter McGann, what's your silver medal? My silver medal is, um, it's, I mean, it's, it's always a cheat when the song itself is one of the greatest songs ever written. Um, but I think in the, in the, what they do, in the scene is is magical. It's such a beautiful, fun moment. It's such a it's a film that is in your head. It's like this is a you know classic romantic comedy. It is as many people point out. It's not a romantic comedy. It has all the aesthetics of a romantic comedy and the stars of a romantic comedy. But it's uh, it's 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 a much kind of uh, funnier and uh, kind of 
not it's not a weird film, but it's 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 definitely it's a bit more spikier than than you would expect from from the the, the title and the the star. And uh, but this scene, it's like the most. It's such a lovely, warm, uh, f- and funny moment. Uh, and uh, yeah, I just think the the song speaks for itself. It just always puts me in a good form when when I see it. It's one of my favorite scenes ever. I run for the bus, dear. While riding, I think of us, dear. I say a little prayer for you. At work, I just take time. And all through my coffee break time. I say a little prayer for you. Forever and ever, you stay in my heart and I will. That is uh, the cast of My Best Friend's Wedding, led by Rupert Everett uh, as George, uh, singing um, the classic Aretha Franklin song. Uh, and it is, it's just a really, it's a, obviously it's a funny moment because obviously in the moment in the in the film where he en- he enters back into it, he's, yeah, he's Julie you, Roberts' gay boss. Yeah, can you describe this movie? Because I feel like it is well known, but I wonder if people, for some people I think it, I, I might be a blind spot. Basically, it's uh, Julia Roberts at the height of her powers, and it's um, Dermot Mulroney is her best friend, and it's that thing where they always said, "If we're not married by a ridiculously young age, when you rewatch it now, we'll marry each other." And now he's there on the brink of that age, and he's getting married to this uh, ridiculously young Cameron Diaz, and he asked Julia Roberts to be his best man. Uh, she's this, uh, you know, kind of. Yeah. She's like a Alpha. sports journalist. She's a or sports something? journalist. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. and uh, you know she eats pizza and all that. Drinks beer. Drinks um, beer. Women she drinks beer. Women don't do those things. No, that's I, confusing. I, not in my experience. Uh, and so she basically the film is, you know, her Cameron Diaz's wealthy family are putting them all up in some fancy place in the lead up to the wedding, uh, and she's there uh, under the auspices of being best man. But she decides she's gonna, excuse me, she's gonna break them up. Uh, it's a great. It's a great concept for a film. Uh, and her boss, her kind of confidant, is played by Rupert Everett. Is he's this? He's he's gay, and she basically drags him out there, or does he drag? He go, he goes out himself and pretends to be her fiance to make uh, Der Mulroney jealous. Uh, and so he's there, you know, acting like he's in love with her, acting like he can't keep his hands off her. And then this scene, <laughs> he just launches into this, like uh, you know, uh, this very. Uh, it's like, well, you know, it's it's quite a camp moment and it's very, very funny. It's in a restaurant, isn't it? Uh, it's in a restaurant, yeah. It's like kind of the, the family, her, uh, all the family are together and uh, M. Emmett Walsh is there. He's like the grandfather. He has the last line of the song and uh, the bridesmaid twins are there harmonizing together. It's just a really lovely, uh, fun moment. And it's, it's, it's kind of like, because it is by the, because the plot of the film, it is, you know, it's quite a, you know, cringe comedy or it's kind of you know there's it's there's, you don't have necessarily the most likable protagonist so it is actually one of the few moments that's actually 
quite joyful in yeah, the film. It's a weird film. Like, like I rewatched it during the pandemic um, when I was in my in, in the Plague House when I was living in Castlenock with Rich Chambers and Sarah King. And we all watched it together. And uh, I awarded it, according to my letterbox here, I gave it three stars on the 8th of May, 2021. And I said, Julie Roberts invented gaslighting. That's oh, yeah. I, like it's you. you I was going to say you couldn't do it today. You certainly couldn't do it with a male lead. It would be t- a terrifying. Oh, she's because she's like a psychopath. Like, yeah. like I mean, like, and, and it is that thing where it's just like, what are you? What are you doing? This is horrible. And eventually, the Dermot Mulroney character kind of like, you're like, what are you doing? Like, this yeah. is really inappropriate. You have this young wife that you're going to get married, and you're now looking to potentially stray. And everyone's making bad decisions, but you know, it's true of life. You and know? they do a great thing where they make Cameron Diaz like so likable. Like yeah. they don't do the thing that every other film does. Where I make like, her like a bitch for no reason. Yeah, yeah or yeah. then she has a turn like later on where she's like got a secret lover or something. It's like, yeah, she yeah. just gets progressively and more. By the way, I'm using the word bitch in terms of a Hollywood screenwriter trope, but I don't actually use that word in my life, guys. Just so you know, you know, put down that tweet, right? <laughs> but uh, Don't I, X me, okay? Oh, yeah. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, I jest, of course. No, but she, she is fantastic in it. And like, yeah, she's this constant bright light. And even like, there's an earlier attempt by Julie Roberts to sabotage her and it backfires and just makes her more Makes germane. her more, yeah. It's like yeah. <laughs> and it's like, who do you get like, Julia Roberts is one of the most magnetic humans to ever be on a cinema screen and it's like who can be like out kind of out charm and out like and it's like literally 21 year old Cameron Diaz who's just like it's funny because like Diaz would play the bride from hell in very bad things a oh bit, yeah a year or two later I've never seen that it's a very nasty film yeah that's what I understand it's, it, it's really vile and really nasty but like you gotta say it pulls off what it's trying to do yeah, yeah. oh my god that film is fucking gross but it's kind of inspired in place Christian Slater is very funny in it um what I was going to say was, do you remember this scene in My Best Friend's Wedding where there's a moment where Julie Roberts is down in her look, it's all gone wrong, and she's like sitting outside her, her hotel room, like on the ground in the lobby or the, the hallway, mm-hmm. and she's kind of having a smoke or something, and the, the porter in the thing comes over and like ends up dispensing some worldly advice and they kind of have a bit of a chat together, played by an actor who was just about to become a huge name. Do you remember who the actor is? No. It's Paul Giamatti. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember the scene. I remember the scene where you said, I f- that's exactly... Hanging on. Like, yeah. that, that, weird, that was very Marge Simpson. That fella is in everything. I watched um, The Truman Show for the first time. Oh, like, yeah, he's like one of the crew. And he's one of the crew. Sorry, you watched The Truman Show for the first time? For the first time, yeah. What'd you think? Yeah, excellent. It's oh, fantastic. God, it's beautiful. Yeah. I've beautiful. yet to put my review on Letterboxd. For fear of what I would you say. For fear of retribution, yeah. Or do I follow you? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Adam shows up. Sorry. It's not like I, 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 I guess you just don't post enough that I see. Yeah, probably. Adam I shows up every now and then with a bit of a with a bit of a blast. I ha- yeah, I give you a blast of all the really shit action movies I've watched in and the last Truman like Show. two months, and then the odd time I'll actually have like a bit of a cult classic in there yeah, somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Truman Show is great. Rewatched it recently. I keep saying rewatched it recently. It's all I do is watch fucking movies, but like fantastic film. I saw it in the cinema. When I came me out. too. Oh, that's and great. I, me and my mates went. Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey. Well, I just remember we never laughed harder at that. You know, uh, good afternoon or. Good morning and good night because yeah. it was just like a glimmer of a joke you know, and we just like ha, there he is yeah. there's our gym this is going to make us feel good it's not about an existential crisis no, no, no. I remember leaving the cinema and I bumped into my Irish teacher and I was like what do you think and she was like oh not much and I was right and she was wrong she was wrong so there you go that's uh, what it is 
Sorry for derailing that conversation. No, no that was that was. It's a movie episode, guys. The movie zone. The movie zone. The movie zone. The movie zone. Sponsored, guys. This episode is sponsored by Letterboxd. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's a. I mean, as I said at the start, there, it's a cheat having one of the greatest songs no, of fine. all time there. But it's, it's. I think this they they by having like kind of all the characters chime in and having these little nice nice character moments and it. I just think it it works well and I love when. It's the same with 10 Things I Hate About You where it's still rooted in the logic of the film, but it's there's just a slight little like wink of like, of like uh, oh, it, it, they're still having their little musical cake and eating it for this like brief moment. Yeah. Whereas some of the other ones are very much like they're just rooted in the world. It's like the character. Uh, yeah, no, this is acceptable magical realism. I think. Yeah, yeah exactly. it's like when the writers can seamlessly work something like that, like a device, like a song like that, that has that kind of bravado and gusto into a film and for it to be pulled off in the way that it well, can be pulled off yeah. let me tell you my number one right <laughs> so this is a weird one because again it's a bit of a cheat code much like you just said there because what we're getting here is an actor lip syncing so we're gonna get the actual <gasps> song no. do you know what it is okay you fuck me? no no <laughs> Of that's, that's staying in. That's staying in. That is staying that. in. Absolutely. No, no, no. It's not that. Um, it's something a little bit different. But that would have been an inspired choice. So um, I'm going to play you now approximately about a minute of nonsensical, indecipherable dialogue, which will then segue into a well-known song. And I think that this is the only great moment in a film that is terrible, oh. but very questionable. So uh, crank the volume there, Adam, and we'll hear my number one choice. I said, do you bleed? Yeah, yeah, dog. Then you take the blood tray. You talk to God. Not even, not even seeing him. You hear his voice. And you see his disciples. They appear like <laughs> angels under a sea of black umbrellas. Angels can see through time. Yes, you do need the visual f to fully sell this, but that is Justin Timberlake miming to the killers all these things that I've done in Richard Kelly's 2006 disaster career killer, Southland Tales. So how do I even explain this scene? I mean, I rewatched it. I, I keep saying this, Jesus Christ, but I did. I wrote a piece about this about uh, almost a year ago, which is kind of frightening because it feels, you know, when you're having like, oh, I definitely watched it like a week ago. Mm -hmm. It was almost a year ago, I guess. Southland Tales is this infamous disaster of a thing. So Richard Kelly made Donnie Darko uh, prior to this. And I, I don't know about you, but I, I was obsessed with it. I've never seen it the whole way through. 
Really? Yeah. That's okay. I was obsessed with it when I saw it. Like proper, like this is my fucking life, man. Um, gone back to you know many times over the years and like had ebbed and flowed on it. But I do think it's something of a masterpiece. And I was very excited to see what he would do next. And what he did next was this sprawling, bizarre epic that had three graphic novels beforehand. Mm. And you know, it's like it opens with ten minutes of just pure exposition. Justin Timberlake is the narrator of this movie. He plays this character called Pilot Abilene, who's like a, a sentry sniper clearly a war veteran his face is all fucked up he's got black hair he's got like scar face and he's got blood all over his thing and it's like oh he was clearly like killed or something and he's this you know messenger from afar or something there's so many elements to this plot that it's impossible to even describe but when i went back to it about a year ago i really wanted to find something in it i really wanted to be like you know what no do the revisionist thing, you know? Mm. It's misunderstood, actually, because there's lots of Setland Tales truthers out there, let yeah. me tell you. But I just don't think it works. I can see, you know, the kernels of ideas, and I can see the the spirit and the vision. And, and I will say, from a musical perspective, there's some incredible needle drops in this movie. You get, like, the... Uh, like the kind of remix of Wave Mut- of Mutilation by the Pixies. It closes with Tender by Blur. Moby has some beautiful score work in it. And you get this moment as well. And I do love this killer song, but in the sequence, Timberlake's character there is like, he's selling drugs to a guy and he collapses and then he goes into a fugue state. And in the fugue state, he's miming to the killers and he's like mugging at the camera, singing it down the lens. And there's this elaborate choreographed dance sequence with all these kind of models who are dressed up as quote unquote sexy nurses with Marilyn Monroe wigs. And, you know, he's sinking back a Budweiser and he's giving the middle finger to the camera. He's simultaneously overdoing it and doing it just perfectly. But it's just this weird interstitial moment that I was like, I get it. I understand what you're trying to do. You're trying to make some commentary about America being fucked up and here's the beautiful American dream and look how scarred it is and we're all consumers and we're all this and whatever. And I just think as a moment of kind of pop art, it really fucking works. And I think casting Timberlake in it at that time makes perfect sense. But the rest of the film, I just can't find it in there. There is a moment at the end where all the characters are coming together and there's a gorgeous black Rebel Motorcycle Club song playing over it and some of the camera work is quite nice but uh, it's just a failure. Apparently they only had Timberlake, they only had access to him for 24 hours to shoot his entire role which I don't know if that's true because I don't think it would make sense but uh, have you seen this film? No, I've seen this scene. Uh, yeah. Like that's the only scene I've seen of it. Uh, I would love, I'd love you to, to spend the two and a half hours. <laughs> Maybe, <laughs> and get and get And, and get dialogue uh, like this. Quote, I'm a pimp and pimps don't commit suicide. There's also, scientists are saying the future is going to be far more futuristic than they originally predicted. And I know he's trying to, he's trying to do the satire. I know he mm-hmm. is, but it's just, it doesn't, it doesn't work. It just doesn't fucking work. Um, yeah, it's, it's such a weird movie. And Richard Kelly, to this day, has talked about how he wants to keep making it. He wants to make another cut of it. He wants to bring it back. He wants to change it. He wants to do TV series, whatever he can do. He literally said, like, you know, as long as I can, I will keep working on Southland Tales for the rest of my life. Good man. And you're just like, what happened? <laughs> like, it's yeah. like, you were supposed to be the future. Yeah. of the, It's like, I don't know. But I will say, I adore this sequence. I think it's audacious in the best kind of ways. And anytime I come across it, I will, I'm, I'm transfixed by it. Mm-hmm. And it's the only thing in that movie that makes me feel that way. Not most movies wouldn't. You wouldn't even get one of those scenes. You know, it's like, it, it's the... It's not to not to then kind of. That doesn't mean the film wins, but it's like if it's like a absolute rotten film with one moment of absolute kind of amazing Nirvana, kind of yeah. Nirvana. It's like most films don't even get there. So it's, that's, that's true. Something. And I mean, I'll never forget it. 
yeah. and I'll and I'll talk about this scene. I'll, I'll be a lunatic in the corner of a pub when I'm 60, being like, like pulling out my, people by the scroll for the pulling neck. out my phone from presumably like a, like a chip in my brain or something, and being like, <laughs> you got to look at this. Like, so yeah, that's my number one. An odd choice for audio, but go look it up. Seriously, it is great. Peter, what's your number one? My number one, as I said, it's my probably my favorite scene of all time. Uh, my favorite song of all time. Certainly, my favorite version of this song, um, because the the album version that one of the singers you're going to hear does, uh, it's just not the, it's it loses pretty much everything. But uh, it's it's people like this is a classic film. It's like generally regarded as a masterpiece. Uh, I really really love the film. It's not something I, it's not one I go back to that much, but. But when I do, I always have a good time. Uh, but it's generally regarded as like one of the best of its genre ever made. Um, and I, I, as I, said, I really do like it. But this scene, it's I just think it's it's just it's just like ah, it's just lovely, beautiful. It doesn't it doesn't advance the plot? Uh, the plot is minimal anyway. Like it's been described as like one of the ultimate hangout movies, and this scene is like the most hangout moment in this hangout movie. It's it's like, you know, it's it's a long film for for such a slight story or whatever. It's just literally spending time with this small cast of characters. And in this moment, uh, two of the characters are played by singers. And so the director just stops the movie and has them has them have do a little duet and it's a it's lovely. The sun is sinking in the west the cattle go down to the stream. The red wing settles in her nest It's time for a cowboy to dream Purple eyes in the canyon That's where I long to be With my three good companions just my rifle holding and me gonna hang my So that was Dean Martin and Ricky Nelson and Walter Brennan on the harmonica uh, with my rifle pony and me in Howard Hawks's Rio Bravo, uh, kind of a Western film that he would basically remake twice over and do variations of in other genres. Uh, it would like inspire Assault on Precinct 13, but it, it could not be more different because of that's this is a 70s like super violent flick, and this is this lovely, like luxurious 50s western. Um, and it's it's like again, it's a it's just a, like a lovely moment of these characters. It does not need to be in there, it does not advance anything, it doesn't like can even. It's not even like as though the character, it doesn't feel right that even the characters are doing it in that moment. It's literally just, I have two of the, you know, these beautiful voices, these charismatic performers. I'm going to have them sing for you here and you're going to like it. <laughs> uh, so, so like it, it's, you know, in any, if, if, you, if it was another film where they had to get it down to a Titan 90, it'd be probably one of the first things to go yeah, in, yeah. in that regard. Because it's, uh, but I just, I love it. It's just such a nice nice moment a lovely song and kind of encapsulates what's good about the film which is like there's a plot happening but it's like the the film is basically just the characters in 
two locations, you know, over the course of the film, just sitting around talking and kind of bouncing off each other. And there's not even that much drama between the the cast. And it's, it's just a lovely moment and I can't recommend it enough. When did you first see it and did the song immediately? Yeah, I don't know when I first saw it. Um, maybe on like TCM or something it was on. And very TCM movie. Very TCM, Or TG4 yeah. on a Friday night. Yeah, mm. maybe it was, actually, you know what, maybe, maybe it was TG Car, but it was... Uh, That's right, I should have said TG Car, Hugh Car will kill me. You were oh. right to correct me. I wasn't correcting you. No, I'm just saying. <laughs> no, well, it was an instinct thing. I always, I, I do that to wind people up on the TG4, right? TG4. And they're like, no. Uh, but it was... I don't know what it have necessarily... I, I love Dean Martin and like, I love that whole kind of those all those guys like that the, the about the history behind them and the, the like a lot of the music but i don't think it would necessarily been like whoa the first time i saw it it was just something it's a film i go back to every once in a while and just the more i went back to it the more that kind of moment was like you know the bit that i'd be looking forward to and again it's uh i don't know just the song does something to me it's 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 like the that voices scene, are unbelievable. Like, it is. And like Ricky Nelson comes in, they start harmonizing together. It's a really, really, really uh, beautiful song. I don't have much in the way of uh, critical <laughs> things to espouse in it other than it's my number one because it is literally my number one. Yeah. It's just, I love, I love it with no kind of thought or reason behind it. It's just kind of. But sometimes that's the best love of all, you know? Yes. Like, fuck, fuck an analysis. That's what I say. Yeah, it's certainly not. It, I, it wouldn't, I don't know what it holds water. I, I, like, I love Westerns. I love the aesthetic of that era. Or the, the, I love that era of filmmaking. I love, like, you know, the kind of, I love films where you can just kind of spend time with it. And it's like, if it's like from another era. Everyone's dead now. It yeah. feels like this, like all my friends are dead. Document of another time. And There's a very specific sound, though, to the western, and I think you know when you get a moment like this, it is such a pause. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's a real like it, it's just the kind of moment where of contemplation, and you know, it's probably like a, a, a beat. It's probably in the script. We need a beat here, but like when you get something like this, it's pure fucking magic. Mm, yeah, it is, and it's uh, and it's that thing of like, it's it's like the power of like just stars like that kind of idea of like it doesn't make much in sense that these guys are singing like that and with those it's not like you know it but it's like it doesn't matter it's like these are like kind of these just like some of those talented people to ever live and it's like we're gonna like people that's showing people what they want to see i i just it's an amazing scene um but again like what i was saying like dean martin's version of it on his album, it's like, you know, it's it's grand or whatever, but it's overproduced and it's, his stuff has always has this kind of honky-tonk kind of like, whoa, you know, you know, kind of, we're having fun guys, right? And I think it, the, the album version of it loses the power of that scene, which is just, it's just so gentle and it's just so like stripped back and, and, and like the two, the two voices, it's, it's, it's nice having the two voices there uh, together. And it's like, there's loads of versions. It's amazing. YouTube clip of like a young traveler kid singing it, um, which is again, it's like haunting. It makes it, you know, it's one of those great kind of those those old songs where you know different people can put their own stamp on it. You know, by it by virtue of it just being like, I don't know when it was written or whatever, but it's it's just kind of, I love it. I don't know. That's a, it's a hell of a choice, and I appreciate it. And um, you'll be putting your stamp, of course, on the stage. What is with it? these upcoming gigs of yours? Yes, I will. Remind us again. Are they all sold out? I think most they of them are. are. Not uh, 
Cork is sold out. Vicker Street is nearly sold out, which is mental. Uh, it's the 15th, Friday the 15th. Get your tickets now. 16th, I'll be in Dolan's in Limerick. The 21st, I'll be in Galway in the town hall. And the 22nd, I will be in Port Leash in Cavanaugh's. And then the 23rd, I will be in the Spirit Store. And then I will be free. <laughs> <laughs> and you will always be welcome back on the show. Follow Peter on social media if you're not already doing that for, for the comedy, but also to get the links to the tickets and that kind of stuff. So um, a great lad, it must I, be said. I try. I live my life by that credo. And let me tell you, um, someone who makes me want to burst into song just by his very presence is Sonic Architect Adam. Thank you very much. It's always a pleasure. Never a chore. Thank you. And yeah, nice to be back after a little break. Yeah. Impromptu break. It was. Um, it was nice. And I think, That's yeah. the end of the show. <laughs> <laughs> Forever. It's the movie zone now from now on. Yeah. Uh, Davey and Petey's movie zone. <laughs> it, was, it was great. I thought it was a really nice kind of, um, a nice way back in after, like you say, Jen Gannon's episode. Um, as a disaster of an episode. No, no, no. no, no. It was like, as in like to pair the two to, We love together, Jen. It was great. You know? No, I um, think that's, that is, it's like, it's, it's all like, it's yeah. a nice listen to them back to yeah. back for approximately five hours and on that note uh, my name and thanks Peter much love and thanks Adam Thank much love to you as well uh, it's the love zone my name is Dave Van Rowdy this has been No Encore slash the movie zone slash the love zone back next week take care stay safe <laughs>